I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time to remember that crap. Can't remember, I can't remember the name of it. Remember this crap. <laughs> you had so many shows. With my so fellow crapper, Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Andy. I'm, I'm stoked because today's Immaculate Grid had the Cubs. It did. And I, and, I got to play some of my all-time favorites. Anytime I can use Jose Macias, <laughs> it's a great day. The um, grandma. So, in a, you and I, I know we're both huge fans of Interleague and of uh, especially of the Couple White Sox series. So, yeah. so oh. necessary every year. Um but in honor of the Cubs and Sox renewing their non-rivalry this week, uh, you and I are going to remember this crap. We're going to remember crap about the Cubs and the White Sox uh, matchups. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that'll be exciting. It's not that. I mean, now it's inevitable, right? It, it, there's there is no. I mean, uh, there's you play everybody, so of course you're going to play the Sox. The mm-hmm. fact that the Cubs and Sox have to play in each park, though, is a remnant of Jerry Reinsdorf's outsized inf- influence over the man he installed as interim commissioner for life, but Selig, because those are the only sellouts Jerry can count on. So he wasn't going to give those up. Nope. So I believe, 
I should have looked this up. Wouldn't have been smart. Of course, remember this crap. It's not resources. No, we're um, not. We're not. We're just sort of minimal resource. I believe the the only teams that have the two game series are like the are like Cubs or uh, Yankees, Mets, Cubs, White Sox, Giants, Angels. A's, oh Angels. yeah. I think you almost you have to you have to oh, basically share a city or a, a or state. A the Royals would never annoyed we would get when the Sox were good and that we'd have to face them six times. And the Cardinals would have to beat up on the shitty yeah. Royals six times. So but that's a good question. I wonder if. I wonder if they still have to play the two and two. Maybe you do. Maybe they assigned that. No, I don't. I, I thought rival. with I thought with no. There are two series this year because uh, they play this week in Comiskey, right? And I know. No, I know this. I mean, those those teams they have to play the two and twos. I don't know that every team has has a two and two yeah. with somebody else. Right? Could um, it just be the Cubs? Because maybe, like Jerry had to have his sellouts, and then it like wouldn't be hard to probably convince the New York area, you know, the other groupings to do the same but now he may well be the only well, I'm, you know, gonna, I'm gonna look here real quick and see if the uh how many times the cardinals play the royals i think that's a good test yes they still four. have they still have the two games because in august and this happens to the cubs in august too they have a sunday off oh because they're at, they're be. in kansas city on friday and saturday and they have no game on sunday because they're only playing two, and the Cubs and Sox have that. When the uh, when the Cubs are home, they play a really? Friday, Saturday, and have Sunday off. That's got a so. Wow, it's stupid. That's, uh, That's it well, like if you're an owner, aren't you like God? What a missed opportunity! Like what? Like how? Well, for the Cubs, that's fine because the, the today they, we're saying we're uh, we're saying that the Cubs beat the Cardinals today. It's one of the few Sundays they've won on. Is that right? Yeah, they were like three and thirteen or something on, just like the Bears. <laughs> three and thirteen on three. They're well, they're four and thirteen on Sundays now, just like the Bears. <laughs> Nicely played. But one of the things I know we want to talk about is the fact that the Cubs, you know, for time immemorial, were the lovable losers. They were the sad sack franchise in the yep. third biggest city. In America, despite the fact that that sad sack uh, franchise has had a hell of a lot more success than they uh, yeah. than their crosstown rivals. Yep, which raises the question: What's worse, being known uh, incorrectly as you know as the sad sack global losers, or just not even being considered at all? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it is kind of funny, right? So, like the the White Sox. Now, I didn't see it happen, so I don't know that it happened. I was told that the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. Yep. But nationally, they're suffering an erasure. And it started during the Blackhawks championships where, um, you know, the, the Sports Center or, I guess, Versus or NBC or whoever was doing the, uh, the playoffs would show uh, most recent championships in Chicago and would just forget to put the 2005 White Sox oh, yeah. in. It's still and then when, when the Cubs yeah, won in 2016, it 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 erased it forever because they're based. It, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just it was you know the first Amazing. World Series champion in Chicago in over 100 years. Despite the fact the White Sox are like, we won it 11 years ago. I'm like yeah, but yeah. nobody gave a shit. It's so, uh, it's just, and it just it fuels. It kind of comes back on us in a bit where, you know, Sox fans are tend to. This is a generalization, of course, but like. Um, that they're more obsessed with the Cubs than their own team. 
I, mean, I guess that constant lack of attention or respect can really drive you into a sort of psychosis. Yeah, they have the little brother syndrome. The big, and they should. Big they, gets they haven't all the been, attention, right? And they, they haven't been around as long. They're part of the junior circuit. Yeah, I mean, and there were things like you know, for the longest time, they both played in two of the oldest ballparks, and they were both kind of shitholes. But the Cubs shithole was far more charming and looked a lot better on TV. It did. And even uh, when you were there, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I like the park is. I, I'm sure you were. Were you ever at Old Comiskey? Yeah, I think, but I think only once. My dad wanted yeah, to I make was, sure I saw it, so we went. I, w- I was there very infrequently. Uh, I could count may- two hands for sure I could count, possibly just one. And one thing I remember, and this ties into what my dad would always credit P.K. Wrigley of the Cubs with, yeah, and we've talked about it. We've, we've spilled you know, like probably thousands of vocal hours on um, you know everything, but... T.K. Wrigley, a horrible uh, baseball man, but uh, you know one of his legacies is a legacy that still seems to be you know ingrained with the franchise is the ballpark. He took care of the ballpark. Yeah. He took care of the fans. You know he put all the games on TV. He did things, whether intentionally or not, that really built that brand and probably also built the love of a loser. But the ballpark, like you like you've sat in my seats, which are way down the left field line, two hundred four, and uh, you notice like any modern stadium, you know they curve right. So you can, you know, not have to crane your neck, you know, you know, to see. And I only draw that comparison is because I remember going to Old Comiskey as a kid, and like being down there, and it's like the game is is if you're sitting in your seat and just like a normal person looking straight ahead, the the pitcher's mound is. If you're sitting down the left field in the left field uh, line seats, the pitcher is like I mean your peripheral vision. You have to turn in your seat. So my dad gave PK Wrigley credit. For at least like sacrificing, you know, several thousand seats. I mean, you look at attendance totals from Wrigley Field, like in the 30s and 40s, and what he sometimes he used to go up to 50,000. I think he tore out a lot of seats to make the experience a little bit more uh, pleasurable for the fans uh, down the line as, as as the field sort of grades, the yeah. seats would turn. Well, of course, you know, Charles Comiskey and and no no knock on Bill Vec because he was he had to be a shoestring owner because he was not part of the money class. He's a whole different story in and of itself. But through the years, Comiskey never did uh, the, the the ownership of the White Sox never invested in that kind of a reconfiguration. So I remember what it was like being one of those shitty ballparks. You see them in all the black and white footage now, Griffith Stadium and Forbes Field. They all were probably like that. Uh, they weren't really you know they didn't think about it. You know, and Ridley exists now, and I mean, Fenway must have done something similar. Yeah. With a seats curve, but yeah, like so, Kaminsky was weird and like like weird, boxy and ancient, and, and it just didn't really, um, it was, didn't feel that hospitable. Yeah, and when I when I say shithole about Wrigley, I, I meant it like uh, in a charming way. It was affectionately. It was it was old, and it there were no you know there were very few amenities, but it was you know, it was a much nicer place than Kaminsky was. And then we did we would go to County Stadium, and Jesus. <laughs> That's a modern one. It was a three. <laughs> Going to the fairgrounds. It's like, what? Yeah, it's like well, that's thirty years is, younger than the other one. Is there a tractor pull, or are they going to play baseball? What is what is going on up here? Uh, we went to Bush Stadium. Uh, Bush Stadium two, I guess, right? Because didn't, didn't Sportsman's Park becomes Bush Stadium one eventually? I defer. I defer to you. You seem to have that history. And down that was now. when. Oh, it, sure. and that's why I call it the big urinal cake. Because man, it smelled like piss in there. It was just amazing. Yeah. It was a hot, humid July day in St. Louis, and everything smelled. And we saw Willie McGee's debut. 
That's right. You David, mentioned that David in Green had gone on the injured, uh, disabled list. That's what they called it back then. Yeah. I'm not being insensitive. And uh, this weird alien-looking dude showed up, and and he ran amok for a while in yep. the National and eventually American leagues. I speaking of artificial turf, and it's funny you bring that up because I remember as a kid, Bush watching games on WGN, on, you know, in the '80s, Bush Field almost, Bush Stadium almost felt hot, and they would talk about it like it's 120 degrees on the turf. But also to tie it back to the Sox, I believe there was a time when the Sox actually did put artificial turf in Comiskey Park, something I'm going to research. Did they do one of the half-ass, like the infield was turf and the outfield was grass? I wonder. I didn't, I'm not even familiar with that. Um, but And then they switched it back because my entire life, it was always a grass. Uh, so uh, Tim McCarver Stadium in Memphis. When they, yes. were the, when they were the AAA uh, affiliate of the uh, – maybe they still – maybe they are again. I think they are. They, yeah, they are. They have a they have a new fancy stadium. But um, when they were AAA affiliate of the Cardinals, had an AstroTurf infield, so their infielders could get used to uh, playing on the turf, and it just That's, looked ridiculous. Wow. Well, so I googled Comiskey Park artificial turf. It's oh, a Reddit there is. thread. I dropped the link, and it actually says when Comiskey Park had an AstroTurf infield and natural grass on the rest of the field and, from 1969 and, to 1975. For six seasons. Seven. Seven seasons, yeah, sixty nine through yeah. seventy five. Wow, they also wore shorts. I mean, what a gimmicky! What a gimmicky! Yeah, and you know, part of it with the white sex was the their inability to ever settle. I think, what were their colors? It's changed them all the time. Oh, we're red and white. Now we're red, white, and blue. Now we're black and white. Now we're black, white, and silver. No, we're back to red. We're just going to do. We're just blue now. It's like what? Right. Well, and maybe you Nick- should have called. Maybe you should have called yourself the White Sox to begin with. The, really. Could you come up with a more boring nickname ever? Literally, just like you're the your sanitary hose, just the plainest. And I know, I know, I know a listener out there can say, "Well, ha, that's what the Cubs were at one point." Yeah, Somewhere. the Cubs were smart enough to change it. Exactly. I mean, the, the Cubs were like, you know what? We'd rather be the orphans. That's a better nickname right. than the they White Stockings. You're right. And then yeah, we'll be the whales. So, yeah. Right. Well, and the Colts, I think, briefly got Cap Anson's Colts before they settled on the Cubs. You're right. Like, they already went through the White Sox and gave it up, and then the White, and then the American League team, you know, is incepted and then uh, are so lacking in any sort of originality or creativity, they borrow that name that the Cubs had ditched. Good point. Way to go. But, yeah, you know, and so you know, we heard it all our lives about, oh, you know, the Cubs are lovable losers and blah, 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 although it was always... It was in comparison to, like, the Cardinals. It wasn't in comparison to the White Sox. And there was a reason for that. Because the White Sox fans didn't have a leg to stand on. You know, they were... Uh, they did have... No, they both teams forever had two World Series championships. And that was it. But the Cubs had been to a crap load... Had won a lot more pennants. Yep. They, As I said. Then the playoffs expanded and the Cubs actually went. And the White yeah. Sox just went once. And then kind of well, White Sox went first, them. yeah, and we've talked about that. How we could talk about here, like it was very bitter when the Sox went in '83. But then over until the Sox went and won the World Series, they had a pretty woeful modern playoff, and they and then they had a they just had a woeful existence postseason and otherwise. Because you're right, '83, '93, 2000, and then 2005 they win it all. So that was in their fourth playoff appearance in the modern era, the first series victory. And then how many playoffs, even with, like, COVID and stuff? Well, they went back in eight. Eight was the year both teams made it the first time. Blackout game. And they both made it in the COVID year. 
Yeah, and then yeah, and, and then, then they the Sox went back the next year. COVID year should have a big asterisk on it. Well, but not for the Sox because they were actually good. Yeah, they were good. The Cubs were the Cubs got off to a good start and hung on for dear yeah, life. No. Yeah. Uh, but the only time they've gone back to back ever was twenty and twenty one, and they won a grand total of what three playoff one, games? Yeah, did they win three? Didn't they take the okay. A's to the limit? In their COVID series, and then Ricky Renneria shit his pants but, and had to get fired. But I think it was, I think that was a two out of three, though. Remember, they had like an expanded format. I don't think it was. So I think it's the only playoff. So game. they probably won two games. They won one against the Astros. I Wasn't that the one with the okay. asshole with the cane? Well, yeah. Like pointed it at but, the camera, and they won that game, and that was the only one. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that guy. Now I will say it's very difficult for me to talk about White Sox games that the Cubs didn't play against them in because I don't watch. No, because they just don't you? give a shit. I've literally, I have, I, I think I watched, I watched one inning of the White Sox this year because on Twitter or X, whatever it's gonna be called as of today, um, somebody was making right. fun of like the White Sox would blown like a big lead. I, tu- I've, I watched like five minutes of a game. That's literally the only time I've turned, I've tuned them in, and I will watch twice this week. Yeah. Well, you know who, uh, you know who would follow the Sox games. All the time would be uh, my father, whose hatred of them was so strong that he would. I mean, I've told the story before. I told it in his wake, I believe, too, about how I was sent to my room when I walked in. He's sitting on the edge of his bed, listening to WMAQ, two outs in the ninth. And hey, Dad, what's going on? The Sox game. Uh, they're down a couple of runs with two outs in the ninth. This game's over. He just glares at me and then. <laughs> Jerry Harrison swings. It's a long drive. And he literally sent me to my room. I brought the house down when I talked about it. The way I brought up that story at the way. But he he did. Uh, and if I can pivot a little bit to maybe provide a little bit of a personal historical context, I think we both have our own personal histories with how we became Cub fans and how we viewed, became to view Sox fans with such antipathy, uh, which is more than sometimes they deserve because their big beef is that nobody pays attention to them at all, which is, you know, a separate thing. But, for myself, I remember, of course, you know, we've gone into our own history of having Cubs fans. And, you know, my dad grew up in Our Lady of Lourdes, a couple miles from Wrigley. So, you know, it was easy for him to be one. But I remember myself as a kid, uh, 1979, 1980, when I was, you know, sort of becoming, you know, getting into the fold. And we were all Cubs fans. That was dictated. And uh, uh, and so now I'm following the Cubs. And I remember at one point, I was like, I was like learning discovering, you know, stumbling across the fact that there was this other team. Honestly, like it was like so <laughs> they were so absent from our household, yeah. right? So I was like, oh, I said, Dad, did you know that there's another baseball team in Chicago? The White Sox? I mean, they, they sound pretty cool. Said, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't None of that shit in this house. And so I asked why. And I'm going to stop there right now and say, I think nowadays it's very much geographical. Uh, you know, and that's fine as it's evolved, right? Because um, you know, I grew up in the Northwest suburbs. So a lot of our parents, people that migrated from the North or Northwest side of the city, same thing on the South side, you'd have exceptions, you know, people from the South move North, people from the North move South. Some guy that maybe never went South of Roosevelt had an aunt or some guy that just never lived in the South side. His aunt was a Sox fan and that's why he was. A, so there are, you know, there are generalities, there are anomalies. Uh, you know, and, and all that. And so I think for a large part, that's true. But when I asked my dad uh, why we're, you know, why we don't root for the side, it wasn't geographic because um, 
yeah, he was, for him it probably was because he was by the ballpark. But what he told me was that his dad, when his dad was, his dad was born in 1895, okay? Uh, his dad actually was a fan of both teams, okay? But it was the strike. It was the, not the strike, it was the, the World Series in 1919, uh, the, the Black Sox scandal uh-huh. that turned him off. Now, I don't know if that was convenient or what, because I kind of like thought about that a lot. And I think about it, right? Well, first of all, you talk about North Side, South Side. Yeah, that's maybe how it is now. But in the beginning, neither team was North Side, right? Because like the Sox today are at 35th and Shields. But the Sox, I researched this years ago. I looked it up and can't remember all of it. But the White Sox, from like their inception, they, they didn't move into Comiskey until uh, 1912, I think, something like that. But before then, they lived they're somewhere around there, somewhere around Bridgeport, 31st Street, whatever. The Cubs, as we know, were West Side Grounds. So when they're playing the World Series in 1906, I don't think anyone knows where West Side Grounds is in relation to Chicago. But let me just say, first of all, that, yeah, the, the Cubs would have, I guess, sort of been a North Side team in the fact that they were about a mile and a half north of where the Sox were, yeah. uh, or a couple miles. But nobody really lived north of like North Avenue or Division Chicago. A lot of farmland, a lot of German farmers out there, a lot of villages like Lakeview and Irving Park that would, around the turn of the century, would become incorporated by Chicago. But there was nothing out there in 1906, for example. 1906, when the teams met in the World Series, Cubs were at West Side Guys. That is, it's West, obviously, but it was south of Madison. It was Polk and Wolcott. So if anyone knows the Chicago area, they're like, St. Ignatius High School is sort of like Rush Medical Center, a little bit west of like UIC. Um, Polk is just east of Damon Avenue, and then Wilcox is a little bit north of Roosevelt. So both teams were technically Southsiders, but the whole city of Chicago, you know, grew, you know, starting from downtown, everything grew south until, you know, the 20, you know, 1920s is really when the North Side blew up. Charlie Wiegand was, you know, ahead of the curve when he built his ballpark up there, but. 1906, you've got a World Series that probably to this day, no, it's probably not true unless the Giants and Yankees played Polo Grounds and Yankee City, but it had to be a pretty short World Series because West Side Grounds would only be about two miles north and three miles, about maybe three and a half miles as the crow flies from wherever, from Comiskey Park, or not even Comiskey Park, wherever the Sox were playing in 1906. So, what, I year, what year did Troy O'Leary misplay the fly ball and kick the lantern over and start the fire? <laughs> Shortly after Charles Comiskey, no, 1902. No, well, 1870. The fire is 1871, and the Cubs come along in 1876. But yeah, the, if that's a serious question, the O'Leary barn is somewhere on the south, wow. near south. You know, Troy right. O'Leary uh, drove in the final run of the 2003 NLCS. He did with a home run. Yeah. Anyway, you know who made the final out? Paul Baco. Yes. We talked about Gabor. that. <laughs> Fucking Gabor. 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 So, long story short, too late. Um, that well, that, that you know, that's the context, I guess I'm saying here for for my answer is that I think at the time it was like this for my. I'm speculating that my grandpa, 1895, he's poor. Like eventually, he was like, like you know, without parents by the time he was like 17. You know, just regular Irish American early industrial era tragedy. Doesn't matter. He was a baseball fan. He once got punished for having a baseball glove, but they were, you know, getting by in the, in the early industrial era, but he would have been 11 years old when the Cubs played the White Sox. Uh, and he kind of lived down there before, you know, he settled, he was, you know, he moved up to the North side. But my guess is he had to have been a Cubs fan because the Cubs were fucking awesome in 06, 07, 08. Even though the Sox beat them, the Cubs were really the team. The Hitless uh, Wonders. And that, what's that? 
Weren't the 06 Sox the Hitless Wonders? They were the Hitless Wonders, right? They had a Donahue on their team, I believe. Jigs Donahue. Uh, Phil? Was, so maybe, pro- probably what, Jigs. Uh, that was his name. And it was, I think, maybe Donahue with an A. Wait till we get to the list of guys who've played for both teams. There's Can't can't wait. There's a good one on um, there. <laughs> but anyway, so, I don't know. Like I, I feel like whatever my grandfather's rooting interests were, he, when 1990, he probably was like, well, fuck those guys. You know, you, you know, you might, my point is that I don't think you had to have, you had to pick a side 110 years ago. Or I think that just evolved with the geography and people, they did move further apart and maybe became more provincial. But in the beginning, they were just a few miles apart. So it was all, like, it wasn't really just a few neighborhoods yeah. apart, really, if you look at a map. So, but after 1919, my, my grandpa cut him out. And that was, so that was a story that I had. I think in reality now it is geographic, but, uh, but, but it also must have been pretty convenient for my grandpa, right? Because, you know, after the Tinkers and Evers, the chance thing kind of dies down and the Cubs are still okay. The Sox are really good until they throw the series. The Cubs came back, right? It was, it was Bill Deck's dad building that team that you talked about. They won tenants in 29, 30. And, and by then, my, my grandfather is living up in Lakeview. My dad is born in 33. The Cubs are awesome. They're the class of the league. And the Sox, because of what the stain that they left on the game of baseball, were basically condemned to like a Prometheus-like suffering. They, did, they set the mark that I don't know has ever been broken, that when they appeared in the World Series again in 1959, I don't think any franchise has ever gone 40 years without a playoff appearance. When the Cubs won the division in 84, they were 39 years. They were the Detroit Lions of baseball, basically. Yeah, except for the fact that they weren't even the worst team in the American League because the uh, St. Louis Browns were actually worse. But over the context of the last 120 years, the Browns became the Orioles, right? All those shitty franchises that move still now over the course of time passed up the White Sox. There's not a fran- they, they have the fewest tenants, correct? And so, you know, we're not just punching down. Like, yeah. you know, my, our, my, our lead, my allegiance is baked in. I'm not a front runner. If I was, I wouldn't be a Cubs fan either, you know. But well, um, it, objectively, they are the most horrid franchise since the beginning of the American National right. League's squaring off. And yeah, all. of any team that's over 100 years old, they're the least successful. By, by the, pretty good the, margin. The by Cubs, any measure. They both have the Cubs and White Sox both have won three World Series. The Cubs have won won the National League seventeen times. The uh, White Sox That's won not it fair. six. We'll get to the other distinction. The Sox have won the American League six times. The Cubs have won eight division titles. The Sox have won six. And that's the modern era too. So now you're like at least you know, you're even in the modern era where let's start over. The Cubs still have the edge. Cubs have been a wild card team three times. Sox have been once. Cubs have been to the playoffs twenty one times. Sox have been eleven. Cubs have been to the World Series, so this is what we think of as the pennant, eleven times, and the Sox have been five times. And then even overall winning percentage, the Cubs winning percentage, the lovable losers is five thirteen. The White Sox is five oh three. And so for the longest time, what you heard, what the two things about the evolution of why Cubs, the Cubs were more popular. And we talked about this. Like, if you were a Cub fan, if we had a time machine, we went back to, say, the, the late 30s, and we told Cub fans that this is it. They're going to be – they're going to they're gonna have one lucky team during a world war that you might want to get ready for. Mm-hmm. And uh, although they probably – if we've got the late 30s, they know what's coming. 
Um, yes. They're going to be they're going to be the laughing stock of baseball for the next you know whatever. No one would believe mm-hmm. you because they were the Yankees. Right. The Cubs were the were, Ameri- were the National League Yankees. Everybody's like fuck they, that. The Yankees passed them up in the '30s. The Cubs were the brand. Like they were the only team to have won. Well, they were the first team to win. I mean, well, I mean they they held the mark for the most wins in a season, the most wins over two seasons, the most wins over three seasons, 06, 07, 08. They lost all those World Series in the 20s, which like was starting to become annoying, but until the Yankees blew by everybody, the Cubs were the most, the Cubs and Giants, but the Giants kept losing World Series. Like they were getting there. But the Cubs were in the team photo. Yeah. Top five brands in baseball, Cubs were probably third, second, third, or fourth. You know, Yan- Even when the Yankees had ascended, uh, and you could maybe give the Giants had more pennant, and that's it. Uh, the A's had, you know, Connie Mack had two different eras, but like that's it. Those are top four. I can pretty much cap it there: Yankees, Giants, Cubs, A's. Those are the teams that, like you said, 1940. Just do 1940. Yeah. For the last 50 years, just say boom. There's the, nobody would argue with you. And then I, I didn't, you know, I as a baseball fan, I had heard of the Black Sox. I knew they, you know, the guys had been banned for life from. You know, and then about the time Field of Dreams and Eight Men Out come out, I remember you know as a, I was in late high school and college, I guess when those two both came out, thinking how ridiculous it was that supposedly the Cubs had this curse because a bar owner because they kicked a bar owner's goat out of the stadium, but the White Sox didn't have a curse for literally throwing a World Series. It's like if the city of Chicago's baseball teams are cursed, it's the, those fuckers. It's not right. the Cubs. It's the White Sox fault. Nobody ever talked about like a curse of that. It's funny. It's about Shoeless Joe, right? There's there's vestiges, phantasms, but an actual curse. It seems so obvious too. They did seem cursed for those forty years. I mean, like they had Luke Appling and like I don't know who else would they have had. I don't know. I just like if you're in Chicago and you're a Sox fan, I think people felt story free then, and that you know. And then the other thing you heard was, um, oh, you know, the Sox, the Sox are really underrated because they had a they had a lot of really good teams, but they just happened to be, you know, In the, the Yankees. The Yankees yeah. basically that's swallowed their, right. up. It's like, well, that's a convenient thing to hide behind, right? I, I mean, will yeah, say, it's, I mean, the Yankees have been awesome, but how how about the fact that what was stopping you guys from well girding up your loins say, and beating them once in a while? I will say the cruel part of me will just relish the fact that that is the Sox golden era. Yeah. So how funny is it that their golden era is eclipsed by the greatest of the greatest franchises' golden eras? Because the Yankees, that's when they won their five consecutive World Series. That's never been repeated. I mean, uh, I guess, yeah. And if, if Sox fans are looking for sympathy, I mean, do a lot of them, I'm sure, are Bulls fans. Do they have a lot of sympathy for the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Riley Knicks or all those teams that don't have, none of those guys have a ring because the Jordan Bulls just kick their ass. So you don't get to pick when you're, you know, you don't get to pick when right. the other teams are good. You just have to get better than them or you have to shut up. That's right. Uh, I have to throw this out just since we're on the historical aspect while we, before we move on to more uh, like personal, memorable, modern era things is that in preparation, I just pulled up the baseball reference franchise page. And it's probably, I'm sure that's not the only tre- uh, the only team for which this is true. And just to make sure I don't have egg on my face, I have to look up the Cubs. No, it's not. 
But do you know who the Cubs, uh, the White Sox, winning winning its manager is? I'm not going to ask you who it is. I'm just, his name is Jimmy Dykes. But what's funny, and you've heard that name, I'm sure. You're yeah. sure. What's funny about it is that Jimmy Dykes is the winningest manager in White Sox history. His record is 899 and 940. <laughs> is he also the losingest? He's the 49-win percentage. So um, my, mo- my mom was a stewardess. In 1959 and 1960, pretty cutting edge. And uh, yeah, and one on one flight, she flew the uh, the the 1959 um, Chicago White Sox somewhere west. Really? I don't know where I don't know where they were going. And she not for the World Series though, right? No, during not, the season. They, yeah, they weren't they weren't going out. To, would they play the Dodgers? They weren't going out to play the. Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, they would have been. Good, yeah. Um, this was during the regular season, but she, for the longest, and somewhere we still have it. She has an auto, she has a baseball autograph by a lot of the guys from the '59. Yeah, because I'm sure Mom was handing out hand jobs on the plane, and so she got a baseball. Oh, what was that? A, no, of course she. No, she wouldn't. Ted Blazinski, look at those five And Al Lopez, what a nice man. Um, oh, he was their manager. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we had that piece of memory. Dad allowed that in the house, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't exactly a, wasn't exactly a prize possession. Like Jim and I couldn't go out and play catch with it, but we didn't have to. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like up on a shelf anywhere. It was just the thing we had. Sure. Because your dad, you know, can you speak a little bit about your dad? Did he have? The he didn't really care. And this is a the th- you know like um, you, you talked about being surprised that the White Sox were a thing as a kid. You didn't even know because your dad was so you know we were so just ignored sheltered. them to the point. Um, well, like and, also, I knew- and also, just w- one last thing about that, though. Uh, the Cubs were on GN during the day. The Sox had lights, but they were also on Channel 44, which was like VHF. So, yeah. so obviously, if, number one, my family's not going to like make any effort to put them on, but they weren't as easy to find as the Cubs, which, you know. So anyway, sorry. My first it. memory of them was the 83, you know, baseball is the name of the game, the Chicago White Sox winning, way. I don't remember that. I remember winning ugly. I remember the song. Wow. Um, I think that was the '83. Anyway, what were the what were the lyrics? Baseball is the name of the game. The Chicago White Sox way. But uh, and one of the stations in Rockford, I think, illegally picked up the games. I think that was a thing. I know they did. I know they stole Illinois basketball games for like a whole year before finally the line and I are like, wait a minute, we don't have a contract in Rockford. <laughs> nobody's nobody's blowing the whistle. Oh, Channel thirty nine showing them anyway. So some of the games were on, and I remember you know, I would just become like a big, I was becoming like a big baseball fan. I was in little league, and you know we always had the Cub games where I was on the radio, and then whenever you know we sure. could get them on TV, we watched them. And I remember even though the the Sox were good, they won the division by twenty games, right? Wasn't that the big deal? Uh, they ran away with the division. I remember just them. not giving a yeah. shit. Like, I was like, yeah. 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 I didn't have any friends who were Sox fans. I wasn't. Dad didn't care. We just well, kind of didn't care. You knew they existed, though. You'd come into Chicago yeah. for Cubs games. You follow. You would collect a baseball card. But they were just, okay. Yeah, yeah. they were just a thing. They were. They might as well have been. Like, the, the Brewers weren't a thing either. Milwaukee is easier to get. To, it's faster to get to County Stadium than it was to get to Wrigley. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We went up a couple of times. Dad and I, that was it. We didn't really care. It was just kind of like, uh, actually, I knew more about the Brewers because the Beloit Brewers, that would eventually work for the Snappers, but they were the Beloit Brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I go to college, 
And I go to Northern, and on my floor is a bunch of South suburban assholes who all became my friends. But they were all guys from, like, uh, went to Sandberg and Andrew and, you know, TF <laughs> North and yeah, Lincoln was, Way. Yeah. And they were all Sox fans. And this would have mm-hmm. been 91, 92, the first year I was there. And so the Sox are, are getting yeah. good. And, and they had a new ballpark. Yeah. Like, they were kind of rebranding. Right. So I've been to U.S. Comiskey a bunch of times because we would just go in. And one of my, my best friends in college was a big Sox fan. And I actually, I learned a lot. I It's it's that thing, you know, like I knew a lot about the Sox then because I had to have ammo when they were giving me shit about the Cubs. I had to be able to give them shit right back. And I've talked about the fact that for that whole first year, I made fun of this outfielder they had, who was just this wild, crazy guy with Jerry Curl and just couldn't believe, look at this asshole. And then the spring training the next year, the Cubs traded for him, and he had to become my favorite player because now I had to defend Sammy Sosa to the death. And I still will. Uh, but that's well, that's how I became that. You know, that, it, the only time I'd – and it, once I left college, it very slowly drifted away, and I could give a shit about the Sox again. I mean, you know. I don't not watch right. them because it's some. You know, it's I'm just kind of like I just I know, I don't yeah. I don't care. Well, and that's that's what they that's what they seem to uh, it seems to frustrate the fan base in general is that they're so not on people's radar even when they do good things like the 2005 like, all the times they get omitted and yeah. stuff like like the most it's, like worse it's it's worse than being hated. I, I think if there's a Sox fan listening, it's probably more annoyed by you than by me. Yeah. And it's all, I think one of the reasons for that is they're like they they blew through the playoffs too easily. I know. Like <laughs> they have these supposed big moments, like Scott Pudzednik's home run, but yeah, they never faced the, you know the like the 2016 Cubs gave us all heart attacks. Every series they, they could have the they could have blown all three series and then they get to the World Series and they just complete they yeah. they immediately get rid of any margin for error. The like, only nope, we got to win them all the, now. We got to win three in a row. The only drama with the Sox that run was when they were this close to going down two love against the Angels when Przinsky stole first base. Yeah, when he cheated. That's it. That was early in the season, or early in the series. I mean. Yeah. So I wonder if that's a, if that's part of it. Like, if you're a Sox fan, obviously you have a million like memorable moments from those playoffs. But if you're a sure. casual baseball fan, the '05 White Sox just came and went. And then they played the Astros when the Astros weren't really right. nobody gave a shit about the Astros. They weren't even hateable back then. It was just like, oh yeah, that's the team with the, you know, Chip Carey's favorite players on it. And right, um, yeah, and they never win. So eh. yeah, that was was that the Astros's. First World Series, right? Yeah, yeah. They had never been Phil Garner. the only one, isn't it? And that was their only one as a National League team. Yes. I just remember being annoyed at Houston for not putting up a better fight. Yeah. Clemens, they beat they beat Roger Clemens in a World Series. How about that? That's not as big as beating him when he's got his uh, jer- when he's putting his jerseys in a trunk after every half yeah. so he can sell them because yeah. it's his 300th game. When Eric Carroll's right. like, "Fuck you," poor right. Hesop didn't scramble his brain so that we could lose. Right. Um. So yeah, so as part of this uh, this exercise, I looked up. Um, I was trying to jog my memory of some of the great Cubs-White Sox uh, games. And, yeah. I mean, I there's always been, like, a weird energy around these games. 
Right. Well, that, let's let's put it in the context too, because prior to 1997, these games didn't exist. Except some of us remember, like I went to a game when the strike was going on in '81, and then they and then it was over. And that Mayor Jane Byrne had a there was a game at Comiskey, and we went to the game at Wrigley. And then in 1985, they would have the exhibition. And I remember because I was a dumb kid, I would get so worked up over the annual uh, Cubs Sox yeah. game. And then, but yeah, so but Cubs since '97, right? This time it counts. Beginning so, in '97. It's funny. I learned stuff that I didn't. So um, from 1903 to 1942, there was this thing called the City Series. And uh, they played, this was great. So the first year they played it, 1903, they played a, you think they played best of seven, best of five. They played a best of 15. And the Cubs immediately roared out to a six games to three lead. And, the, and then in typical Cub fashion, uh, after 14 games, it was tied at seven. <laughs> However... <laughs> Getting heckled here. What time of year is that? Right I'm after the season. About. Right after the season, and after so they the they play these fourteen games, and now the fifteenth game is supposed to happen on October fifteenth, but all the players' contracts had expired, and neither team oh. would play, so they tied. So then they shortened. So, it. Wait, okay, hold on. That's crazy. I'd never heard this before. My first thought was. This had to be a preseason thing, and it's basically ostensibly a a, a, a training camp thing or no, whatever. It's opposite. It's a postseason cash grab. It's, by it's the a way for the owners to fucking get, like capitalize on other local citizens yep. in a in a two, in a still two nice. team town. The teams, two team town. If the teams aren't in the World yeah. Series. You might as well right. play each other. Right. You have two professional teams in the same city. Wow. Okay. So, Got so it. they did that. The the uh, Sox uh, ended up winning that. Um, I'm sure there was no uh, players' uh, booty either, right? So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So apparently it wasn't played every year between 03 and 42 because they only played 25 times. The Sox won Probably 18. Probably some Warriors. Okay. Sox were 18-6-1. So then the thing we remember was the Windy City Classic, which became the oh, Crosstown thanks. Classic. Thanks for doing the research. That came back right, in yeah. 1985. 85. They yeah. played for 10 years, but they played 11 games because in the last year, 95, they played a home and away. They both they played oh. each park. That How many of those games year. do you think the Cubs won out of those 12? I felt like they were hardly keeping score because one game ended the time. Steve Vines played every position. Um, yeah, so 12, 13 games, Cubs won five? They didn't win any. They never won they one? They were 10 and 2. It's the 94 game that ended the tie, right? The Dave Otto, Michael Jordan game? Yeah, they were 10 The Cubs two. never won. See, I, I'll just tell you, the first, like I said, I was a dumb kid that was way more into that than I should have been because I was buying into the hype. The first one was 85, right? So put it in context. Yeah. It's a stupid exhibition game three weeks into the season when both teams have an early season break. It's fucking cold out. And I'm like, like the buddies that I went to junior high with, that were Sox fans, like I had just like blood a lot. They were my friends, but like it's all I could think about is a stupid exhibition game. And it was at Comiskey, and the Cubs were coming off their division. The Sox were a year removed from theirs. And young future uh, future Cubs pitching coach Jim Hickey. Because eventually the games would quickly evolve. It was like an all star game, right? Starters would start, and then it was like your minor leaguers would be called up for. Jim Hickey, he hit Gary Matthews on the wrist, and Matthews had to come out. I was just being pissed that this. Young, wild guy can't even throw a strike and he's hurting Sarge. Uh, and the Sox won. And you're right, I, some, I'm not going to re-forget it, but now that you mention it, 
that was a thing that in this stupid accident, just like with the real life, the the regular season games where it counts. Like I, I, I grew tired of that exhibition season after a few years, exhibition series yeah. after a few years. Right. And everybody probably did because the Cubs didn't perform well. So it goes away in 95, but then interleague comes in in 97. So you really didn't, yeah. you really didn't need it anymore. So since interleague started, uh, the Sox hold the series lead, 73-65. to 65. Okay. Uh, the Crosstown Cup, the prestigious Crosstown Cup, has been going on the since 2000, 2010. Um, wow. For the first three okay. years, it was the BP Cup. Then from 2013 to 2018, there was no sponsor. That's when I it's – the, it's the DeCipio Payday Loans Cup. Those were those years. <laughs> I remember. And then 2019 to now, it's the Trust. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, the, uh, both teams have won it. Uh, the longest streak any team has won has been four years. The Sox uh, won the, retained the cup from 2009 to 2012, and the Cubs had it from 2017 to 2020. That's the longest anybody has ever held it. And it's funny, I remember the 2017 Cubs. So here they are. They, they won the World Series the year before, and they, uh, they, they win the they, whatever game they clinch the cup, and this thing gets brought out, and there is somewhere on the internet, I, I got to find it, there is this picture of the Cubs with this cheap-ass trophy standing on the mountain, and none of them could look more like, who gives a shit? It's great. They're just like, we have to pose with this thing? We won the real one. It's right over there. Right. No, sorry. In the display case. Here, I'll walk you over there to our new clubhouse. But uh, so the very first game was played on June nineteenth, nineteen. The first game for real, other than the World Series in 06, um, was played on uh, June sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. And I, what, the only thing I remember it for were the uniforms. Which one? The very first uh, interleague game yes. between the two teams. At, well, at I'm gonna, I have to share a quick anecdote because I've talked about this a couple weeks ago. This remains probably my most Chicago day ever. But the morning of the first ever Cubs game, buddy of my and buddy of mine and me went down to the city to celebrate uh, in Grant Park with the Bulls, title number five. And then after that, I remember we went to get a burger at the Billy Goat, and I'd never been to the Billy Goat before at that point, so check that box uh, down underneath Michigan Avenue. And then we took the red line up to Thirty Fifth Street for a weekday afternoon game at Comiskey Park for and Brian McCray let off with like a triple down the line on my this is Brian McCray's one shitty year, but one nice thing. He got the Cubs off to the right start in ninety seven in that game. Um but yeah it was it was an afternoon game and um um the uniforms though I do remember that. The Cubs had like the whale was it the whale? No. But they were like they were blue nineteen eleven. They were solid okay. blue. Everything was Kind of like their awful yeah. uh, City Connect uniforms now, except without the, no baby no baby blue on them anywhere. True, just yeah. a lot of blue. Right, and then the socks, you know, they wore their 1906 jerseys. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I'm sure, that was a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> At least it was in 1919. <laughs> but yeah, the, the you know, and that's 97. Um, if you want to hear all the agony and the agony that season we have a whole episode dedicated yes. to that Cubs team it was a miserable season so one of the few bright spots is that the Cubs did claim the first ever real regular season Cubs Sox um, so then the next year was the first time they had a series at Wrigley 
Yeah. And for a while there, in 1998, every Friday was Brant Brown walk-off home run day. Including one of the tracks. He hit a 12th inning home run to win the game. Yeah. And uh, I just listened to a uh, recording of it, and uh, Hawk Harrelson was calling it. And he didn't give it the silent treatment, but not real excited, which as you could expect. Sure. Yeah, we uh, when we went over the '98 Cubs punt season, we we, we treated that weekend. Um, half my buddies got thrown out of the bleachers. I managed to stay in uh, for that for the entirety of that game. But um, one of the things that happened in that game that was kind of hilarious was the Sox could have won the game like in the eighth or whatever, and uh, hit a ball that like I don't know it was one of those like first and second left center gap is a total ground rule. A literal ground rule, Wrigley Field ground rule, Ivy double. Yeah, it went into. Did they go into the Ivy? Didn't one ball go into like a drainage thing? I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. If it was the same thing. I thought it was an Ivy, but it was, it was like, something weird. It, it was very weirder suspicious. than normal. Right. Where are the normal? Not a typical ball gets in the Ivy. So. And then I didn't realize this until today, because I remember going to this game, but I didn't remember that it was the second one ever at Wrigley. The next day, I went. And I got to see Jose Hernandez and Derek White, the great yeah. Derek White, both Homer off of Future Cub, Stevie Iyer. I mean, Scott Iyer. Oh, God. God, I hate it, Scott Iyer. Sammy God, also Homer, and the Cubs won 7-6. to six. Um, I was glad, watching the thing today, I was glad that I was at the game and not watching it on TV because the game was on Fox, and the announcers were the very impartial John Rooney and Jeff Torborg. Wow. Can you imagine two duller people to have doing the game than those two? Jeff Torborg, former White Sox manager. Um, Jeff Torborg would later screw the Cubs by uh, getting himself fired in 2003. And then Jack McKeon took over, and the Marlins took off like a shot. If Torborg just keeps them, you know, mediocre, the entire, they, they don't go to the playoffs, and the Cubs. Interestingly, go to the Torborg was also the Sox manager that uh, then general manager Larry Hines, who hired Torborg as his first hire, threw overboard uh, in favor of Gene Lamont, who was, you know, no offense Kirkland, to the pride of Kane. Kirkland, Illinois. Kirkland, I thought Kirkland, it was Caneland. Kirkland. Kirkland. Uh, Kirkland, Illinois, Gene yeah. Lamont. So there was a picture, there's a picture at the, in the Crystal Pistol there was back in the day. <laughs> Uh, one of those times that we were there, you know, I've told stories of the pistol and the cow, Andy, right? Some of the, you know, Mayor Spiro would be the first fella in the bar on Friday and <laughs> yeah. the last guy to leave. And, you know, Don Clark matched me, did a fundraiser. And, of course, he's going to hang out there, cook dinner for Sidney Crawford, DeKalb's finest. And, yes, one time, how close is Kirkland to DeKalb? It seems like it was really Not far. Not very far. But Gene Lamont uh, had dinner in the pistol. pistol. Yeah, so Michael Mazzarelli, our owner, took a picture a uh, moment of silence for Michael, but took a picture of Gene Lamont that was on the wall of the pistol for a while. Just take Annie Glidden south and then turn right uh-huh. and you go to Kirkland. Ah, okay, right yeah. So, but yeah, but anyway, Larry Himes threw Torborg overboard for Gene Lamont and did get a division out of it and then would North. repeat that, uh, would repeat the issue when he threw his first hire for the Cubs, Jim Lefevre, uh, overboard for Tom Treblehorn. So, there's a yeah, Cubs sock time. We both had the, we, we both had a general manager promotion. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah. Uh, June 13th, 1999, the game beset by rain delays, and the Cubs season was already starting to circle the drain, and Mike Caruso. Yeah, we talked about failed it. Failed. I'm not going to talk White about Sox it again. shortstop hit a home run. Yeah. In the basket. Probably the only homer of the year, too. And back then, so you're, you're already up to 99, so like, so 97, there's just one series, because they were still getting this thing piloted off the ground, this whole interlink thing. 98, there was only one series, which is that Wrigley. And then beginning in 99, it was it was two. Right. And then... That's yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah. That's, it's all right. Jerry. Yep. Nobody needed six of those games. And the I, we kind of talked about it, like the, you know, the weird, like the weird atmosphere. Well, so um, at that 98 game, I distinctly remember seeing a fight between two drunken White Sox fans females from and it was one of those fights where it starts they're not in the same row so one person has the high ground and is swinging down on the one below and everybody's cheering because it's two women fighting and it's like this is great and then I've told the story about it oh three I was at uh, U.S. Comiscular and I got in a fight with a Cub fan because he was I tried to find it on the playbook, but in my mind, it's one of those things. I remember when I remembered the Willie Wilson and Deion Sanders triples that didn't right. happen. Right, Wendell Effect, yeah, Mandel Effect. I, I remembered, like, Troy O'Leary 
I guess Troy O'Leary did it a home run in that game. That's about Spencer I remembered. And the Cub, and the Cubs had a lead and they ended up blowing it. But they were up. and this Cub fan, this super drunk Cub fan, we're not even in the um, we're down on the concourse. We went to get more beer. We're down on the concourse, and he's screaming and yelling. And I was still, you know, I was embarrassed for just how overly excited the guy was for like a fifth inning home run, right. or whatever it was. And I basically told him to calm down. And he got pissed and he turned. And I didn't have any Cub stuff on. I didn't have, you know. So he just assumed I was a Sox fan. And he took a wild swing at me. And before I could do anything, the two Sox security guards had him like gone. Like they grabbed him and they were gone. And, and my friend Neil and I looked at each other like, did that just happen? And they just left us there because they knew we didn't do anything. Right. They probably had their eye on that clown. Yeah. But uh, the Sox won both of those games, the first two games, in, in, on walk-offs. I kind of remember that. And then that the, Cubs the, won the Cubs won the Sunday game. It was a close game that Sunday game. I want to say, like, would Bartolo Colon have been on the 03 White Sox? I feel like he was in that series, but uh, they were it was they were frustratingly challenging games. The Sox weren't bad in 03, and the Cubs, of course, would need every game they could get. So, um, yeah, I remember that. Very, that's very frustrating. Uh, June... 28th, 2002. Do you remember this game? Okay. Were you this there? The Friday game? Was yeah. this the Friday game in Comiskey? Yeah, I talked about it. Okay. Go back to 2002, folks. I guarantee you there's a 10-minute uh, diatribe. Um, I don't want to take up too much. I just know that that is the date that I swore to myself and I lived up to it that I will never, ever go to U.S. Committee. I'll never go watch a Cubs-Sox game at Sox right. Park. Yeah, because I'm, I'm never going back to a Cubs-Sox game. We showed up late. And, but the Cubs were kicking ass. Corey Patterson had a three-run homer. They were up eight to nothing, and I was sitting up way in the upper deck, right next to the sun. And what annoyed me, similar to your story about idiot Cub fans, is that Kerry Woods walked in the ballpark, and I remember just seeing Cub fans in their seats, just like like goofing around. Like, you're not even watching the game. Yeah. He's pissing it away, you clowns. And like you're not even gonna know what's going to happen when like it was breathtaking how quickly the Cubs came back. I think Canerco hit the go-ahead homer like in the sixth inning or something. Uh, the, the lead was erased breathtakingly fast, and I was angry and, and intoxicated. I remember like walking out of the ballpark, and Cubs sucked that year anyway. The stocks weren't going anywhere, and I was just like, "Big deal, you beat the Cubs." But uh, yeah, it's just I just terrible day at the park for me. So yeah, that's the date you said, June nineteenth, two thousand two. Twenty eighth, two thousand two. Twenty eighth. Wow. Yeah, the Cubs were up eight to nothing and lost thirteen to nine. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. Barnes was in that game. It's very too. reminiscent of a couple of years ago when they had gave Jake the seven nothing lead in Milwaukee, yeah. and that, that, that lead that, was, that was gone by this before the second inning was over. Same thing. They lost yeah. 14-7. That was, that was the the last gasp of the World Series era, or no, the last gasp of Jake Arrieta's Cub career. I mean, he was, you know, whatever. I think uh, even the, for the franchise, it was sort of the last gasp. So then we go ahead four years later, May twentieth, two thousand and six. Oh, st- oh, yeah, yeah. We've, we've broken it down yeah. punch by punch, one I believe. Dumbest, one of the dumbest Cubs of all time and the biggest asshole in White Sox history, which is a pretty – I mean, there's nobody is going to challenge that AJ is the worst. Sure. Uh, but, you know, they've got quite a list. Uh, got in a fist fight. Actually, only one of them got in a fist fight. Right. Only Barrett threw any punches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a uh, – Rich Hill was on the mound, I believe. Still pitching. Who knew? Who would have known? Seventeen still, years still, later. Still pitching. So, and then I have to mention. I know uh, you wrote that one down, but I'm going to come through that. Um, 
Brzezinski factored into a, the Wrigley game in 06, and I talked about that when we covered the 06 season, and it's actually the impetus for my current uh, past and current Twitter avatar, I, it, my Twitter oh, profile yeah. pick. It was my profile pick before Theo. It was my first Twitter profile pick, and then I broke it back out a couple years ago because, you know, I'm not going to wear that when the Theo is here because they're awesome. But it was the the moment that Ryan Dempster, shitbag that he is, gave up a with a two out, lead changing, go ahead ninth inning home run to Brzezinski in the right field, that uh, snatched a um, defeat from the jaws of victory. And uh, we were already so down in that Cubs team that was Dusty's last year. We were just dying for everybody. everybody did get shipped out after that season, including Dennis Fitzsimmons uh, and Andy McPhail, but. We had our Dominic's grocery bags ready. And we threw them on the brown paper bags. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to go into great detail with the AJ Michael Barrett thing because it's been done to death. Um, worst part about it was it got AJ on the All Star team because they did that stupid punch AJ. Remember when they used to vote in the extra man? Oh, he got voted in because it was so that's clever. pretty clever, actually. As a marketing guy, you must be able yeah. to appreciate yeah. that. Well, and that was the year after AJ. The Sox were defending World Series yeah. champions that year. So it was a real tough time to be a Cubs fan. Let's be right. I, I Like, I was writing that. I remember, like, writing screed. I just was just so sick of, like, Tribune ownership. And, yeah, it was like – Things did change for the Cubs after that year. I don't know if the Sox winning at all in 05 had anything to do with it, but by the end of that year, McPhail was fired. Within a couple of years, they sold the team to Sam Zell, you know, well, finally. Luke, after, Luke came the yeah. next year. That's true. Right, because Sam Zell wanted to build, you know, artificially inflate the fans. They hired Soriano. Yep. You got you got any of those Cubs Sox games from 07 where Soriano seemed to keep homering against them? Or? Yeah, well, I have not here that on uh, June 24th, the Cubs swept at Comiskey the first time they'd done that, and they won the season series five games to one. And that should have been a, a, um, I don't know, kind of a uh, wake-up call for the White Sox that their World Series shit was over. Yeah. As a very mediocre, I mean, it was a playoff team, but it was a very mediocre Cub team, and they were smacking the White Sox around. That's very satisfying to look at in retrospect because the Cubs also barely made the playoffs. So if you're a Sox fan, you're like, damn it, yep. the Cubs put a nail in our coffin, and then also we could have just won two of those games. Yep. Maybe the Cubs don't make the playoffs. Of course, the Cubs didn't do jack shit in the playoffs no. anyway. But. but they barely got in. They didn't get in the second to last day thanks to thanks to our old friend Greg Maddox. That's right. Beating the Brewers. Um One of my favorite games of all time, Sox or not, um, June 20, 2008, uh, Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez hit back-to-back home runs in the seventh to tie the game, and then Aramis in the ninth hit a home run off Scott Linebrink. Wow. Walk-off home that's run a, for the that's Cubs. That's a pull. I, I remember, remember the back-to-back home runs came out well, they, I mean, as they would, but they came out of like nowhere. You're watching the game thinking – Ah shit! You know they were down yeah. three to one, and I I don't know if they were on consecutive pitches, but it happened fast, and all of a sudden yeah. it was tied, and uh, it was nice to see that shit happen to them. I don't yeah I don't remember that, and you know what you mentioned oh wait that's the one year since so the first time in 102 years that both teams went to the postseason, yep. so they're both good teams presumably. Yeah I mean yeah we put the nail in their coffin in 07 somewhat, but they did bounce back, you know, Ozzy and I hated that barking 
maniac, but he, I will say in deference to the White Sox that that guy, uh, he got more out of what he had there than probably any manager they've had. It was, it was kind of annoying. They were decent teams around that. A couple of things happened in 2010. On June 13th, I remember this because I was, um, this was a game, this was a Sunday night game at Wrigley. And I had uh, driven to Colorado Springs, and I was I had to get back to the hotel to see if Te- Theodore Roosevelt Lilly was going to finish off his no hitter. And do you remember who broke it up to lead off? A former Cub broke it off to lead off the ninth. Oh my God! I had completely forgotten about. Let's just say that before the game, he was rolling his balls down the foul lines. I don't remember that Juan Pierre played for the fucking White for Sox. For two years Jesus he played for the White Sox, after he left the Cubs. After the Cubs. Juan Pierre broke up he the bro- no-hitter. This is, uh, this is the point in the contest where, like, boy, my memory gets worse the more recent we come because that would – you'd think that that would stick in my craw because I hate Juan Pierre. A um, couple of years wow. – oh, no, two, two weeks later, um, more shit happened in the dugout than on the field. Carlos Sembrano had been nope. staked to a 3 nothing lead going into the top of the first, and it was tied by the bottom of the first. And Is he got mad Bradley at Derek story? Lee for a play that he oh. thought Lee should make, and um, they got in a fight, not an actual swinging, but Lou had to throw his, had to send his pitcher to the clubhouse and put a different pitcher in. I do remember that. Uh, not only that, Carlos would get uh, suspended for that, and when he came back, he was in the bullpen. Remember that. So I love I love Carlos, but like, damn, bro, it's hard to defend you. I know you're a hothead, and it makes you funny sometimes. Throwing up your teammates isn't that cool. Although I've been guilty of it, obviously. But man, showing up Derek Lee, yeah, uh, Derek that's, Lee that's not a good look. Getting a fight with that's that's not a good look. Um, yeah. Well, we had too talk much about that. That's that's one dugout altercation. I don't know if you have another dugout altercation. Yeah, that's the very next year, or the year um, before. Oh yeah, because ten would have been the end of Lou. Ten was the year. Yeah, Lou, and, Lou said fucking. And 09 was when they got Bradley because they were too damn right-handed supposedly yep. after 08. So yeah, so there, there was that. So here's another funny thing. You might appreciate this. Do you did you notice that at some point the White Sox started playing their Friday games? In the afternoon, because you know they obviously you noticed that because like it was always a Friday. You know who does that besides the Cubs, except the Sox. Oh, the you mean the Cubs, the so Cub, I, Cub games on Fridays? Yeah, Kaminsky. they had to do it because of the there were so many fights. There's one in particular that made the news, and it involved a local sports radio guy. <laughs> oh, was it uh, uh, Bill Simonson? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a few years, oh, I remember a few years later, I was up in Michigan, and a few years after he left Chicago, because he was like yeah. the huge, he's Lou Canales. They had the big afternoon show, and he was an out-of-town guy, which is not, you know, you could be, you could succeed in this town, not be from Chicago, obviously. He, he was a little bit of a try-hard, I remember. And he had a big, you know, overly, oh, Bill, I'm the huge, or Bill Stevenson. And um, and I just remember, like, a few years later, he turned up, like, on Grand Rapids uh, yeah. when I was on that side, but... He was like the guy in the afternoon in 1000, and, and uh, he got his ass kicked yep. uh, on the Friday night, like a Cubs Sox game, either in 99 or 2000 or something like that. Yeah. So, 
And I think there were a lot of fights, but I think that one got a lot of attention because he was a high profile. He probably had it coming because he was a big mouth on the air and probably, you know, I think, you know, he, he had some, uh, you know, off the field proclivities that may have led to it. And it was like in the news, he had a black guy, a picture of him or whatever. So within a couple of years, I think beginning of that 2002 game, Uncle Jerry was just like, I don't know, man, I'm paying too much in liability insurance or something. But he started putting those games on Friday. Yeah, I remember the, it might even been this, the game we just talked about in 10, the night game. Like the Cubs and uh, White Sox did not want, did not want a Sunday night game, because they didn't want to have a night. They didn't want to have any night games. And ESPN's oh. like, no, you're gonna have to figure it out because we want right. You know. Uh, now they don't care. Those games, the games this week, obviously, are both at night. So weeknight, right? Yeah, they're true. playing this weekend. Weeknights I mean, yeah. Of weekends. Yeah. yeah, they still play. Yeah, it was a Friday. I think it was a more of a Friday. It wasn't night games in general so much as a Well, they didn't Friday. play night games forever because of that. You know, Saturday and Sunday, nobody notices to play those during the day. Right, but, like, they, but yeah, they had to move the weekend. Friday games to after. Like, like that right, game right. in 08 where you were sitting up with the sun, that was a Friday. Yeah. And that's why. That would have been a night game otherwise. Otherwise, but it wasn't. Right. So, yeah, the Sox had to follow, follow suit with the Cubs with the tradition of a Friday just for just for those games. Jerry Jerry wants to collect his money. He doesn't want to pay too much in liability insurance, maybe. I'm sure he will remember this game well in the emotional moment on uh, May 18th, 2012. I know it. Uh, middle of an inning. I, uh, I, manager, <laughs> uh, Jamie Quirk. Comes oh. out because Dale, I think, had gotten tossed. Funny. Uh, Perfect. Calls Kerry Wood to come to the mound. That's right. For the last time, Kerry strikes out the great Diane Viciato and then goes to the dugout and hugs Tony Campana right in front of the dugout. It was very – no, wait, that was his little son. That's right. He hugged his son on the way off. And that was it. We never saw Kerry again. He immediately started his personal services contract, which Dan Bernstein told us meant that he would be uh, immediately be an announcer for the Cubs. And now 11 oh. years later, he has still never done it because that was bullshit. But uh, Yeah, right. Was the end of Carrie. That was a nice, that was a nice moment. I remember watching that one. I was, I was at my dad's house. It was, a, it was another Friday afternoon. You know the, the war torn, abbreviated career of Kerry Wood. That much like Gail Sayers had like these incredible meteoric like moments of just like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it, it the second. You know, that was Carrie's third act with the Cubs. That wasn't even the second act. That was the third act. So let, can we retrace it? So well, first act. Was starting he, pitcher. He gets traded to Cleveland. He built. They allowed him to build his. Well, no, I mean, uh, so I divide it this way. So he obviously comes up as this hotshot rookie, and strikes out twenty, and then all this promise, and then keeps you yeah. know blowing his arm out. But he's amazing in the two thousand three playoffs. And then, yep. And then he's hurt leads again him all the time. Brink, leads him to and the brink of a panic. Before the 07 season, he's going to retire. His arm's fucked, and he tells the Cubs mm-hmm. he's going to retire. But his story was he. Um, he decided he played catch the day he was going to go in, and his arm felt good. And he said, well, I'm not going to retire yet. So they put him in the bullpen, and he was the setup guy in 07, right? And then he was the yep. closer in yep. 08. was an all-star closer. Yep. Then he gets traded um, to the Indians. Or, you know, he doesn't get traded. He doesn't get re-signed. He's signed. Henry allows yeah, him. Henry's like, just go find a job somewhere else. We need a real closer. Yeah. But his arm won't fall off. Goes to the Indians. Pitches in the playoffs for the Yankees. It pitches really so well got, for the Yankees. He got traded down the stretch in 09. Okay. And then, um, or whatever year that was. It must have been 10 because he wasn't on their World Series team. 
Right. But he was in the playoffs. He pitched well in the playoffs. I remember being literally nervous for him in the playoffs because I didn't want to see Kerry. Yeah, I got you. Right. Um, But then uh, Theo takes over. And one of the things he says is, we're not doing any of this sentimental stuff. I mean, we're just, we're rebuilding. Like that, and then like at the Cup convention that year, they announced they said Kerry Wood. Right. <laughs> like, I thought you were nice. doing this, Teddy. Um, and then he really had nothing left. He was, was bad. Yeah. He was hurt. He was bad. That's, so that's the third act. Was the that first was, the was this hot shot pitcher. Starter, then, was like this then really the transition reliever. reliever. Then he comes then back. Like, yeah. yeah, he did. So he only, so he was really just a nominal Cub in, in, in that third act in 2012. But it was nice. I mean, it it was the fact that he got two productive years as a reliever for them was a big deal because he was a really he was well, a really good gone reliever. To, they could have gone to the World Series if Brian Dempster wasn't such a fuckhead and they're, yeah. and, they're, and they're like you know everybody can hit. Yeah. He was their closer in a way. I was at his comeback in 07. I remember being really annoyed because it was a Sunday night game against the Mets, and it was actually I actually saw. A major league pitcher record his 300th victory, and it was Tom Glavin for the Mets. Oh, yeah. But I was more excited about the fact that Kirwood was making his first ever appearance as a reliever. Yeah. I remember how excited Al Yellen was to see the Glavin. Yeah, history. Sure. Want to see history? Fuck you. Nobody wants to see that. Tom Glavin's a prick, and the Mets right. suck, and we don't need to see that. He can go do that somewhere else. Um, 2013, Cubs are still bad, uh, but Travis Wood hits a grand slam. The Cubs win, uh, eight to three. Who who hit the grand slam? Travis Wood. He hit a grand slam, a grand slam against the White Sox in a game he won eight to three. I just want to throw back a random memory of like nineteen ninety nine, where I think Todd Walker got a Sunday night uh, game ending walk off bases loaded walk against Zero. What was that Asian pitcher for the Oh past? yeah. Um, I believe he walked Todd Walker with the bases loaded like in 99, or not 99, not that far back, but uh, yeah. I can't think of his name. I keep thinking of Todd Aguchi, but that was the second baseman. I can't think of the picture. Who cares? Um, Did you know this? I didn't remember this. I remember that uh, Aroldis Chapman made his Cub debut against the White Sox. Yes. I do remember that. Through I was on vacation. Like all of his and pitches like 100 miles an hour Northern, and the fans shit their Northern pants. Michigan. Never seen it before, even though Kyle Farnsworth used to do it on occasion. Um, yeah, now we're getting into yeah, who gets it. I mean, I didn't write the date down, but um, one of my favorite things would be the uh, Wilson Contreras bat flip in the COVID year where he threw it. Like he had a crushed oh, okay. a ball and he threw the bat straight up in the air <laughs> and it's still hovering somewhere. Uh, Eloy hit a game altering home run off of Pedro Strope in 2019. Uh, and then I didn't know this happened. I saw the guy listed this as one of the games in 21. And I'm like, why do I not remember this? Well, I know I remember this. I didn't, wasn't watching that shit. It was August 27th. The Cubs had traded away everybody. I'm not going to watch this. The White Sox won 17 to 13. The highest scoring game in Cub White Sox history. Yeah, no recollection there. You say it was after the the, 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 after the sell off. Archer trade off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell off. Yeah. Nobody was nobody was paying attention. I have another frustrating memory. I shouldn't bring it up because it's painful. But the year the Cubs missed the playoffs, when Craig Kimball all of a sudden started throwing Bob Scanlon straight as an arrow fastball yep. down the stretch. Uh, but they lost. Like they played the Sox in September that year, and like that was around the time that Giolito started emerging. He pinned it down one game. You know, when you miss the playoffs by a game or two, you you think back to some of those. But 
But that that's, that was when that Sox, the Sox, that Sox team was getting good around the time the Cubs team was sundowning. And we were all kind of thinking, whoa, there were like shades of that team that kind of reminded us, honestly, yeah. objectively, of the Cubs' early ascension. Well, it's funny. And I, the, the, the current Sox should be a cautionary tale for all these fans who think that the Cubs rebuild. You know, once all these prospects get ready, ooh, we're going to be good. You know, we got spoiled. The 2016 Cubs, 15, 16, 17 Cubs. Um, everything went right. It's like all those prospects were good. You know, even yeah. the guy they didn't like, they didn't draft Javi, but all of a sudden Javi comes up and Joe with the famous, just don't mess with him. I'll handle Javi. And he turns into a star and yep. Bryant was, ed- was better than advertised and, yep. you know, on and on and on. Everything worked and they win. The White Sox, I mean, you could make a case. You can't now because of the results, but their rebuild actually went better than the Cubs because they had more to trade. Like they had the Cubs. Theo didn't have anybody to trade. We got, they traded, you know, Ryan Dempster. He got Kyle Hendricks, which was great, but nobody was giving up shit yeah. for Kyle. For Ryan. And it took Ryan turning down a con- They would have had yeah. uh, Randall Delgado <laughs> instead. Or they don't did a trade. We, we didn't did a trade. <laughs> but the White Sox for all, you know, they got, you know, Giolito and they got, um, you know, they, they traded Sale and they got like, Yohan Moncada and Kopech and they got Eloy and Dylan Cease from the Cubs and all that stuff. And right. I mean, you could look at it and say Han did a hell of a job and he did. And it hasn't turned to anything and it's over. Well, like well, it how much failed. Stock, They're going to have to do over. it again. Oh, it's over. How much stock do you put into the fact that uh, by, by hiring a, an octogenarian <laughs> it didn't drunk, help. it didn't help. But like, like now there are like now there are people that are. Well, I shouldn't give them any credit. I'm not going to name them by name, but they're like pointing out, oh, Larusso was 40 games over 500 with this team, blah blah blah. I'm like, because they're they're really bad now. Yeah, but he and had the same team. Well, they were bad. He managed the team last year and they were bad. They're just, yeah. they're worse now. And I, honestly, I think the real reason is they traded the heart of their team when they traded Nick Madrigal to the Cubs. I mean, yeah. how are you supposed they, to get they, on? They, how are you they supposed can to survive still, that? Maybe they could get they it back. Could, they could still write that wrong. The Cubs could just leave him there, although he missed today's game in Iowa with general body fatigue, which that's a general I don't remember. But true. They could because they're at Comiskey, right? So they're bringing him to Comiskey yeah, this week. just send him to the home clubhouse uh, so you yeah. can have him. I mean, do you yeah. still have his little doll uniform that he used to wear? Just give that to him. I mean, to, to have the Bat Boy hand him his jersey, it'll be fine. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. No, but it's I'm, you know, I say that as a way that you can do everything right in these rebuilds. And it doesn't mean they're going to work because Han did a lot right and it didn't work. And, right. Um. Yeah, because there was a time as a Cub fan when you were watching them put that team together, like, ah, oh, shit, they're going to be right. good. And they really Robert. weren't. Like, yeah. um, maybe the pandemic here really screwed them. I don't know. Maybe it that was the year when they were going to get rolling and they didn't. Um, yeah. You know, and then the next year, they were they were good. That one year good year they had was 21. But they ran into the Astros, who were better. So they get bounced out of the playoffs, and that seems to be it, which is just too bad. And and that was a LaRusso team, so yeah, he, he couldn't have gotten away yeah, he that got much. Yeah, the playoffs. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think this is this can't be the whole list, but it goes back to 1973, and these are the trades that the Cubs and uh, and White Sox have made with each other. Does this start with uh, with Ron Santo or Steve Stone or something? It does. I didn't realize. Listen to this: the Cubs got four players just for Santo. There was nobody else going to the White Sox. And Sano, I in '74 is like guy like a 33 year old diabetic third baseman. Yeah, he was bad. He was done. He didn't even finish the '74 season, right? He retired. Maybe, yeah. Um, they got Ken Frailing, <laughs> Steve Stone, Steve Swisher, wow. and Jim Cronell, all for Ron Sano. Oh, Did you know this? This is what I learned. I didn't know this. That just before that, Ron Santo was the first player to ever use his ten and five rights to block a trade. The Cubs had Fun worked fact. out a deal with the Los Angeles, or were they? Yeah, the yeah, they're probably the, the California Angels, probably in '87. Even the LA Angels yep. back then. They're California. And Ron said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to LA." So they traded him across town. Which honestly, if you're Ron, it's worse. Go to LA. Don't go play for the fucking White Sox, <laughs> where you got to play second base because Bill Melton is the third baseman. Oh yeah, he was like. Well, like, how obstinate of Santo, too, to be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, oh, he's going there. there. Right. <laughs> I, can't sell, I can't sell Ron Santo pizza in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> but he was done, though. Like, But then, you know, you can't expect him to retire. He's not going to forfeit that well, he money. Played a, he, he played 117 able. games for the 74 Sox. I don't That's know if he finished base, or not. Yeah. Um, okay. Five homers, 41 RBIs. Uh, he okay. played second, third, first, and shortstop. I don't know how many games he played at shortstop. Hopefully, hopefully he played an inning at shortstop. Uh, he played, yes, he literally played one inning at shortstop. All right. And meanwhile, Steve Anthony Stone Rizzo played third base longer than that. That's so. right, which helped out for rotisserie owners. Um, I think, too, like Steve Stone, I believe, was drafted by the Giants, found his way. So he, came, he went to the Sox and then the Cubs. Okay. Yeah, true. And it's kind of it's kind of a fun fact, obviously. Probably the two of the more you know in the history of the Cubs, they're, they they chew up a lot of space as far as their respective uh, uh, presences as color commentators on the 
radio and television side for the Cubs in later years. Yes, Stone had been drafted by the Giants. He got traded to the White Sox with Ken Henderson. I don't know who that is. Future uh, Cub. We talked about Ken Henderson. Ken Henderson? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about him. He had a nice long career. He ended up with the Cubs. Oh, yeah, he did. We talked about him because he was on the 1980 Cubs, I'm pretty sure. Yes, he was. Hit 195. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then uh, then he gets traded to the Cubs. Then he was pitches for the Cubs for three years. He's granted free agency. Signs with the White Sox. We went back to the White Sox. I pitched there for two years, and then it was off to Baltimore. And then he uh, won 25 games in 1980. Yep. He, played, he would only pitch. He would be. He was done in 81. Bob Welch is the last pitcher to win 25 games in the big leagues. He did it now. It's been, what, 33 years, 1990. When he did it, he was the first guy to do it since Steve since Stone, and it felt like a really long time, which had been 13 years. But obviously, it's like a unicorn now. Nobody wins 25 games. No one will ever win 25 games again. It is funny. His stone, if you look, he's a, he was an all-star. He won the Cy Young. He finished ninth in MVP voting. All that happened in his career. It all happened in 1980. Completely right. nondescript career other than that. Although he, then, won, he uh, won 15 games for the 77 White Sox. Fine. But, yeah, in 1982, he was out of base. Four and a half ERA. So the only good year, I mean, he really only – he was good in 79. For a World Series, uh, for a pennant winner, yep. so kudos to him. I guess. He was great in '80, and then he was done. Well, it's funny, yeah. He was surrounded by yeah, Baltimore was known for their pitching. He doesn't necessarily stand out year over year, except for those two years, because it was more Mike Flanagan, Jim Palmer, Scott McGregor. They were all considered better pitchers than Stone, but Stone's the guy that won 25. 1977, the Cubs send the great Steve Renko mm. to the White Sox for Larry Anderson, not that I, Larry Anderson. Well, is it Larry? Not the one with the SBN that was a very pithy. Nope. Why do not we the guy who traded for Jeff Bagwell. This yeah, was uh, Larry Anderson and, with O.N. Park and driveways. And who was the who was the other guy you just mentioned? Because I had a kind of Steve Renko. I used Steve Renko in Immaculate Grid the other day. Yeah, Steve. Renko. Uh, I believe it was. I believe it was. It was, it was Angels Royals. Uh, Steve Renko, because I used to collect baseball cards. Oh, Steve Renko, another Cubs stock. Huh? Larry Anderson never pitched for the Cubs. Okay. Cubs won that trade. Um, 1981, Dennis Lankford, Yeah, I've talked about it in multiple episodes before. How we felt that the, we had pants the socks because Dennis Lamp was a meh, weird glasses, wearing mustachioid, weird middle reliever, sometimes a starter. He did throw a one-hitter with the Cubs against the Padres, and I only knew that from the back of the stops card. But Kent Kravick, we thought, was a really good pitcher for the Sox. And we're like, holy shit, man, I can't believe the Sox gave us Ken Kravick for Dennis Lamp, Mr. Foggy Glasses Wear. And then Ken Kravick proceeded to go 1-7 and seven and never pitched again. And Dennis Lamp actually threw another one-hitter for the White Sox, was pretty good for them, and then actually carved out a nice little uh, sort of a short reliever, long reliever career for the, like, a, some good Blue Jays teams in the 80s. I think Lamp only pitched that one year for the Sox. Yeah, he threw a one-hitter. Good old Rusty Kuntz. No, a, that's not he right. He, three, he pitched three yeah. years to them. Then he went to the right. Blue Jays, the A's, the Red Sox. And, and, you know, I talked about like my dad who would watch Sox games just to watch or like listen to them because they went to Sports Vision. They weren't on TV. But, um, it must have been they were on TV because I remember watching it. Yeah, because they went to Sports Vision in 82. So in 1981, Dennis Lamp, that's when he threw his one-hitter 
for the White Sox. And the one hitter got broken up either in the eighth or ninth inning. But the Sox had a, a gritty, uh, an unfor- a gritty center fielder, unfortunately named Rusty Kuhn. Oh yes. Who uh, I think he made a diving catch earlier to keep the no hitter alive, but he uh, he attempted to make a diving catch on Lamps. Uh, I, would, I don't know who it was. Was it Robin Down? But uh, anyway, uh, couldn't pull it in. But Dennis Lamp ended up having a much better career than Ken Kravick. Now Ken Kravick led the American League in the same category in back-to-back years, 1978 and 79. What do you think it was? Was it hit by pitch? It was. He hit 10 guys in 78 and 14 in 79. He lost 16 games in 78 and lost 13 in uh, 79. Does he have any peripherals that would have suggested that our household should have been unduly excited for? No, because in 80, he was 3 and 6 with a 6.94 ERA. He gave up 100 hits in 81 innings. I think we just hated Dennis Lamp. He struck out in his career. In 557 innings pitched, he, or in uh, 858 innings pitched, he struck out 557 guys. Yeah. Good I think we just hated Dennis A little more Lamp. than half a strikeout in inning. So, yeah, he's Maybe because he was more of a starter. He was uh, Mike Kruko's buddy, though. So. Oh, all right. Uh, got that going for him, which is nice. 1982, uh, trade of uh, superstar prospects. Uh, Ty Waller for Reggie Patterson. Ty Waller, opening day center fielder in 1982. Reggie Patterson uh, was shot in Brazil playing winter ball about as, a couple weeks after. A, a, a couple in 1984, a couple weeks after Ben Wilson was shot, and also Reggie Patterson served up the 4,191st hit of Pete Rose's career, which was one shy yep. of the record uh, that Eric Stout would eventually serve up for. Uh, trade I remember. I mean, oh, we talked at, about this trade. 1983. <laughs> yeah. When all Dallas Green was compromised. Just loading up. There's all kinds of stars. Yep. Scott Fletcher, Randy Martz, Pat Tabler, and Dick Tidrow to the White yep. Sox for Steve Trout and Warren Brewster. And so we've talked about this in multiple episodes. That was the end. Somehow Fergie Jenkins' second round, second time around was so valuable that Dallas Green, who was sometimes – Make mistakes like this. He did the same thing with the Suckless trade. Didn't seem to he, know any of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't have anybody. Spot. The Cub uh, front office was probably him and uh, yeah. the, Goldsberry. What, the, what was the ticket guy who ended up there? Chuck Wasserstrom. Frank, Frank, Frank Maloney. Oh, just the, yeah, Frank Maloney. Yeah. That's right. Chuck was the PR guy. It was Sharon Panazzo, yeah. Chuck Wasserstrom, and Dallas Green. And they didn't know yeah. any of the rules. So, yeah, about like, like contracts or waiver removal. And so somehow Fergie Jenkins. Even though he was old, he was like turned out to become his best pitcher in '82, and he was gonna. And he turned out to be their opening day starter in '83, but not before Dallas Green had to supposedly make a trade under which he was compromised by giving up the great Pat Tabler and Scott, like just a bunch of flat stamp. Yeah. The one good player out of that was Steve Trout, who would have his career year in '84. So the Cubs won that trade, yeah. but it, it, at the time, uh, it was basically considered that Green was compromised, and the Sox had. So him what was the deal? The Sox had claimed Fergie, and in order to keep yes. them from getting him, he had to he had to work out a trade. That's yes. great that the to White Sox Fergie. had him completely over a barrel and somehow traded the best player. And, and and that was a Sox team that would go on to win the division that yeah. year. They didn't need Trout. They had you know the well, Scotty Fletcher played for them. And and it probably should have played more. Instead, they had Jerry Dibzinski running the bases uh, in Game Four of the playoffs. So yeah, they didn't use. And, well, and you mentioned this in a previous episode. Ted Tabler had a nice career. He was the Grand Slam King in the eighties. Well, the bases loaded. The bases were loaded. The, you wanted Pat Tabler up. 
Right. That's the guy that Roland Hemans traded for Jerry Dzinski. So Pat Tabler uh, had had Roland Hemans stayed put and not acquired Jerry Dzinski for Pat Tabler, who, again, it was a dumb move in the long run because Tabler is probably the one of those four players that was – Randy Martz was a Cub prospect who sucked, and Dick Tidrow was at the end of his career – uh, Tabler gets traded for Jerry Dibzinski, and of course Jer- Jerry Dibzinski makes a a a vocally uh, notorious base running gaffe in the game four uh, of the playoffs against Baltimore that year. All right, here's Pat Tabler's career with the bases loaded. This is not an insignificant sample. 109 plate appearances. He hit 489 oh. with a 505 on base and a 693 slug. He hit two grand slams, drove in 108 runs. Wow. Wow. And how many players? 109. 108 Jesus RBIs Christ. and 109 players. 88 at bats. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Sox could have used him instead of Jerry D. But the Cubs won that trade, especially because the Sox turned on a traded tabler. But, yeah, Steve it's, got one good year to Steve Trout. Cubs won that trade. It's funny. Pat was a pretty good player. 282, 345, 379 for his career. Not a lot of power. 47 homers in 1,000 games. Kind of a money ball player there. 3, 4. I don't, I don't know kind of feel. I think he got moved to the outfield, too. Yeah, he, he was a much first, third, and left. Yeah, he was a second baseman for the Cubs. He was the number. He was the 16th pick overall by the Yankees. Yeah, because we talked about in 81. We did 81 Cubs. Like, I remember like there was a rumor that he was a hot prospect. Because that was an 81 Yankees team that went to the World Series. Uh, and, yeah, we got him. We were excited to get Pat Taylor. And, and he Bill, was. He Bill had a good Coddle career. Jay Howell. Yeah. Two of the, the quarter, two of the many Cubs relievers that we didn't know would become significant relievers in later years. Yeah. 1992. Oh, One of the greatest one, trades right. of all time. Ken, who can forget Ken Patterson? Ken Patterson for George Bell. And then to throw yeah. in some guy named Samuel Peralta Sosa. The Cubs win that trade. Yeah, remember uh, the. I don't know. The, I, I don't know. Sammy's not in the Hall of Fame. One of the motivating factors behind the trade was that George didn't want to come to spring training because he was busy running his gas station in the Dominican. Okay, and of course Larry Himes, the sourpuss that he is, isn't going to put up with that. George Plus, had been an Larry all-star had, Larry. in '91 for the Cubs. Oh. Yeah, he was one of the three free agent signings that Jim Fry had brought along that didn't suck, but still wasn't good enough to save Fry's job. Danny Jackson and Dave Smith were horrible. But yeah, Bell was okay. We had Bell and Dawson in the corners. We had some poppers in '91. But, he only played two years yeah. for the White Sox. Yeah, uh, he was a malcontent. He was a malcontent by '93. Uh, he would need to get off the bench to DH in the playoffs. Yeah. They, they had they had a Bo Jackson and George Bell were the DH in the playoffs. He hit 38 homers for the White Sox in two years. Uh, in 13 years with the Cubs, uh, Sammy hit 545. Is that more? That seems like that's more. Remember that when we get to another trade. That, uh, well, speaking uh, of the home runs, too, I think Forklift pointed out the Sox never even had a home run hitter to Bill Melton or something. Like, they don't have any. Like three, Oh, Frank Thomas went over 300. But yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Sammy hits 500 for the Cubs. George is 38. They didn't trade again until 1998. 1998. Of, Hold on. Let me see. That's a good Cubs team. Uh, 1998. Was it in season or, or It's at the trade season? deadline. Oh, yeah. Of Ed course. Lynch shitting his pants would, and panicking. Would give up a piece of that World Series Sox team. Yeah, he made two terrible trades on the same day. Yeah. He traded. Uh, 
the one with Florida didn't really hurt him. Todd Noel didn't no. turn out for, but he no. got, well, it did hurt him because he got Felix Heredia, and Felix hurt him yes. repeatedly. And he traded former first round pick John Garland to yep. the White Sox for Matt Karchner. Yep. And Matt Karchner was terrible for the Cubs. So bad. So Kerry Wood was uh, Ed Lynch's first ever draft pick in 95. Todd Noel was his first ever draft pick in 96, or his first round draft pick in 96. Traded him in 90, and then Jack Garland was the first round pick in 97. And the, the thing so, that always so, pissed me off was apparently, so Ed tells Andy McPhail, his boss, the two trades he's just made. And Andy's apocalyptic. He's apoplectic, not apoplectic. He's apoplectic. He's so pissed off. It's like, you were his boss, right? Why did you leave him unsupervised? Shouldn't he have had right. to run these by you? And you could have said, no, this team is right. not worth. This team is not worth trading two number one picks on the same day for mediocre relief pitchers. Oh, my God. Just take a breath. We'll find somebody on waivers who will do better than these two guys. Say, just let him do it. Say, well, I had to let him do it. It's his job. It's like, well, not if he's going to do it that way. No. Just sitting here right now, I feel how how absurd that is to deal your most recent two draft picks. Now, he just drafted Corey Patterson in 98 because his mismanagement yields him number three pick. What would the prospect perverts have done to Ed Lynch? Oh, if he did that today. Him. They would have made his last name a verb. Uh, Karchner uh, pitched 29 innings for those Cubs. He gave up 30 hits, walked 14 guys, had an area of 5.14. Yeah, he was uh, the run fairy, Felix Heredia, was 3-0. and uh, With a 4.08 ERA, he gave up 19 hits, and he only pitched 17 innings. And uh, yeah, he wasn't good. But thanks, Ed. Yeah. Uh, scarred from that, they do not make another trade until 2017. Another. This is right after the All Star game, or maybe right before the. Oh All-Star yeah, game. yeah. We can talk about this one. The Cubs get uh, control. He was very. He had a lot of controllable years left. That was why he was so valuable. They got Jose Quintana, and they gave up yep. Dylan Cease, Eloy Jimenez, Brian Fleet. And Matt Rose, four guys to get one Jose. Now in 17, Jose was good. Like he had a great first start against the Orioles. He shoved it up the Brewers three times. Yep. Um, Even the Cardinals. In 17, he he came in out of the. He had to come in out of the bullpen in crazy game five, and he pitched well. Yeah. And then because they they torched that bullpen in game five, he was um, he was supposed to start game one, and then um, there I guess he did right. But his wife, uh, his wife had some kind of plane. panic attack on the plane, and they had yeah. they literally had to detour to Albuquerque on the way to L.A. So they get in at, like, the crack of dawn before game one, and everything went yeah. bad. Um, Dylan Cease has turned into a good pitcher, and I feel like, knowing the Cubs' track record of developing pitchers, he wouldn't have been if they'd have kept him. <laughs> so it did him a favor by trading him. Did they have the, else. Did, they didn't have the pitch lab then? Well, they did, but no, but they still. Uh, Justin Steele, it took him nine years to right. get to the big leagues. Nine. Like, at some point, right. Eight. Right. Eight years to get to the big leagues, nine years now to be good. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. Dylan Cease won 14 games last year with a 2.20 ERA. And on a bad team this year, he's got a 4.40 ERA, but. Uh, he has struck out 138 batters in 113 innings. Yeah. Uh, he did lead the league in walks last year. So there's that. And he's got a terrible okay. mustache. He does. Uh, and then there's Eloy, who... Um, can't stay healthy. Can't play the field. 
I think part of the reason they traded Eloy was thinking that, well, he's not really an outfielder, so what the hell is he going right. to do on our team? Of course, now there's a DH. They didn't know there was going to be a DH. He can't stay healthy. Like, he's a good yeah. player when he plays. These are his career games played. Um, 122 games in 19. He actually played 55 games in the pandemic here. That was good. But the last three seasons, he only played 55 games in 21. He only played 84 games last year, and he's missed more than 30 games already this year. Jeez. Um, this year, his slash line, 277, 321, 466, which is just kind of eh. That's not that good. That's not, he makes a lot less money than Ian Happ, but uh, that's who he, yeah, that's who he would have replaced. Yeah, similar numbers. He is a corner outfielder. All right, so no regret there. And right now, Steve's is five, but the team sucks, so there's no like concern well, there about the like, John Garland. The thing that makes it bad for Cub fans with Eloy is that he destroys – the Cubs. He has. He had that one series a few years ago. His well. career against the Cubs in only 13 games. Uh, he has six homers, 15 RBIs, a 340, 426, 830 slash line. He's slugging 830 for his career against the Cubs. All right. So that's you, why Cub fans are like, oh, I can't believe he tried. All right. You know, at that, at that's the price we have to pay for Sammy Sosa's 545 career home runs yeah. and Steve Trout's. 14 and 7 record in 84. Uh, it doesn't quite upset John Garland's not 05, but uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to think about that. And the last trade between the two teams, I'm sure until tomorrow when they trade Nick Madrigal back. Yes. The trade that I was pissed off the day they made it, and I get more pissed just watching this little fucker run around. Craig yeah. Kimbrell to the White Sox for Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. Um, Cody, his elbow has fallen off and continues to fall off, and it's too bad because yeah. I think he actually would have been pretty good. Uh, Madrigal is a tiny person masquerading as a big league baseball player. And the thing that makes me mad about this whole thing was people, I think it's easy to forget because it didn't go well for him with the White Sox, and then it didn't go very well for him last year that he was an all-star again this year, is at the trade deadline in 2021, Craig Kimbrell was the most valuable piece anybody had to trade. Listen to this. This was his numbers at the trade deadline. In 39 games, his ERA was 0.49. Less than half. In 36 and two-thirds innings pitched, he had struck out 64 men. He had given up 13 hits and 13 walks. His ERA plus, 100 is league average. You want to take a guess what his ERA plus was? Double that? It was 865. Eight times that. And they got Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer for that. And as Cub fans, like, we know what it means to your team if you add a dominant closer to it right before the playoffs. Yeah. And like the guy we got, but they won the World Series in large part because he, they had a Roldis Chapman at the back of the bullpen. Even though he he blew a couple games in the playoffs, but and and as it turned out, but that's all uh, in retrospect. Kimbrel was not, I mean, of course, he couldn't have been expected to keep up that pace, but he was. Well, they didn't use him as a closer. Oh, he suddenly became yes, the eighth inning guy. Yeah, yeah. they did. He was they, bad for them. He it had, tells you like what a moron Jet is because the stocks were like hedging their bets. They're like, well. We don't really need him, so we'll give you Nick Madrigal. Okay. And just, so here's, got it. As opposed to Jed taking him to another team and yeah. be like, um, 
I, you know, do you need a closer or do you need some, some douchebag that's going to be there in the eighth inning? So now, Jet Apologists, and I'm sure this is true, and it does there tug are, on your I, heartstrings a little bit. Is that such a thing? Kimbrell's daughter was sick. And oh, I remember that. Now. Leaving her, yeah. le- leaving him in Chicago meant they didn't have to like leave her behind, you know, alone in the apartment, which they probably right. wouldn't have done. I'm sure the wife would have stayed with her, but she got to keep her doctors, she got to keep all that stuff. So I get that, but you, you have to do, you have to get more for him than that, or otherwise you're just oh, gonna have to say, right. "Sorry, Craig, we can't." Or how about this? Uh, don't trade him to the White Sox. Because it pissed me. Just that. keep him. Get a draft pick. You're good at that. No, they didn't. It, it, it's it's bad. It was a bad trade, and it it would it's worse because Nick Madrigal is still around than it would be. If, right. Well, and as you say that now, Jed's convinced to like compound his mistake by ju- trying to justify having made it in the first place. Right. To me, that I think that's completely why they keep shoving Nick Madrigal down our throats. Is look, this is going to work. It's like no, it's not. Well, and it's like, yeah, if it's, you know, Judd maybe has enough self-awareness to realize, like, well, that's one of those things that's really going to be used against me, or maybe, or possibly could be. So, look, shit. It, playing that guy isn't going to make it better. So, just take right. the beating. Yeah, cut your losses. But that's funny. I do love, you know, uh, uh, little Burt Taylor wrote about this. Oh, yeah, you because know, Madrigal got hurt while he was red hot. I was it's really going to hurt his trade value. <laughs> It's like, I cannot express to you enough. He has no trade value. No one wants him. No I team like... that is seriously trying to win anything wants Nick Madrigal on their roster. They just don't. I, I feel He's like Judd Hoyer good. just absolutely mindlessly threw Rick Hahn a lifeline because Hahn made the dumb decision to draft Madrigal as yeah. high as he did in the first place. Right. Instead of having to just cut bait on the fourth pick in the draft, you got a reliever for him. It was supposed to work out. So now he feels fine. And well, then they like, traded yeah. Kimbrel, so they got something for him because he—that's the other thing. He actually the Cubs could, could have just kept him. He wasn't a free agent. He had another year uh, on his deal, so there was yeah. complete panic. Um, let's see. That's, all, that's almost as that's almost as bad as the Carson for Gartwright. It's pretty much on the same and level. And it was cheap. Like that other year, there was no money on it. It was so attractive. It was a no-brainer. Yeah. This guy was right. worth so much, and they got nothing. He got traded. The White Sox turned him into A.J. Pollock. Good job. Wow. Which I know A.J.'s hurt, but, like, hey, man, I know. He's not even a Dodger. I know. He's not even a White Sox anymore. He's out of baseball, whatever. But still, they got no, that. He's, he's kind of out of baseball. He's in Seattle. But he was worth it. You know, look, if you turn Mick Madrigal – into a chance to maybe yeah. catch uh, AJ Pollock for like might finally stay healthy and and he he showed spurts but that's about as good well, as you can expect for Nick how about Madrigal. this I I would wager well, I know this is true AJ Pollock hit 14 home runs for the 22 White Sox Nick Madrigal has three career home runs will he in his yeah. career hit more than those 14 home runs no of course he won't no way he won't, he won't even get to half he will not hit. Put the put the over under it. Put that at you said fourteen is the number. Fourteen. Yeah, I, he won't uh, get to seven. Yeah, he's not going to get enough opportunity. He's Nick only Madrigal, hit the ball to the warning track twice as a Cub. So uh, Nick Madrigal has three things in common with Mick Kelleher. First name rhymes. Uh, first and last names. Nick Madrigal four syllables and 
neither of them can hit a ball further than 280 feet without the benefit of a strong tailwind. Okay, the last thing I wanted to do here was I have a list of, and we're not going to go through them all, but there's a list of guys who played for both teams. It's pretty, oh. pretty illustrious. There like are some it. old favorites on this list, and it's in alphabetical is, order here. Is Bob, is Bob Molinaro on the list? Oh, I'm sure he is. Sorry. All right. Um, very first guy on the list, number one in your um, – he he replaced Henry Aaron as number one alphabetically in the baseball register. Um, wait, Don Ossie didn't pitch for either team. No, nope, this is even less than Don Ossie. This is A-A-R. Oh, yeah, David Ardsma. David Ardsma, which That's is – right. We turned that it's into a verb for shaving your balls. Was Correct, with, uh, with a dry, rusty razor, according right. to uh, Black. Did you know Paul Assemacher pitched for the White Sox? Nope. Yeah, very handsome. We've talked about we've talked about the Assemacher a ton, and yes. nope, not only anything that they even came up before. What course, year? Uh, that's ninety-five. Never mind. No, that's all no, right. I can, I can it get it. I got him here. <laughs> Assemacher uh, pitched for the White Sox in ninety-four. Oh, he missed the 94. missed the playoffs by a year. So he was traded for Tuffy Rhodes at the end of ninety-three, and then he's. Showing up. Okay. All right. Worked his way over there. He may have been yeah. the reason they went on strike. Oh, he could have been on. No. That was the. Oh, that was it. We didn't talk about that. The greatest Sox team of all time. And they didn't get to go to the playoffs because their owner um, t- yes. decided he wanted to strike. Although that's always yeah. been bullshit because um, the uh, the Yankees were like finally putting it all together. Like they were. Ste- yeah. And the Indians, who were really good in 95, Indians really that started good, yeah. steamrolling straight at the White Sox. So. Yeah, right. But but they were in the pig. I'd like to think that that and they were legit. I'd like to think that they would have. Yeah, they were good, good. but they act like they there. they act like they canceled the World well, Series. It's between them and Expos fans. Both of them are convinced, right. that they won the World Series in '94, but it just wasn't played. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. We but should the, do a the Indians in the Expos shortened season in '95 won 100 games. When they only played 100, yep, they only played 154. Yep, yeah, yeah Indians were on the rise. I think 94 was actually when they started becoming rivals like Batgate. Do you remember like there was a game yeah. in Comiskey Park where Albert Bell's bat was stolen? I think that was like 94. That was way early in, in that uh, in that rivalry. But yeah, like the Sox were sort of uh, had been building. Larry Hyde started that thing and then it was replaced by Ron Schuler, And then they finally went breakthrough and won the division 93. And then, just as quickly, Cleveland was challenging their supremacy and would surpass it. So '94 so, was sort of the the two ships uh, crossing in the night. The um, the the unofficial world champion '94 White Sox uh, at the time of the strike had a one game lead over the Indians and okay. had a worse record than the Yankees. Yeah. Okay. They were on their way. Anyway, um, we talked right. about George Bell. How about the great Jason Beret? Great year for the Cubs. He did until Don until Don Baylor leaned on too hard in that uh, San Diego game in which Ryan Cluscourt eventually hit a lead changing grand slam off of Jeff Fasero. Jeff Fasero, the troll. Yes, but yeah, Beret uh, kind of came out of nowhere and like slotted in as the Sox fourth. They had they had McDowell and Fernandez, and then Wilson Alvarez was their third. And then also the they, they went and acquired Tim Belcher at the trade deadline. That was supposed to be a big trade, yeah. but like as that was happening, Jason Beret was like, "Fuck Tim Belcher, I'm better than him." And Belcher was like an afterthought. And Beret just kept winning, 
And then he kind of, he is awkward and shit like that. But when he resurfaced for the Cubs in 01, we got one really nice year out of him. I'll say that. Um, I don't remember this guy as a player, but I do remember that he had a stadium named after him. Hiram Bithorn pitched, played for both the Cubs and the White Sox. When the Cubs had to play in Puerto Rico against, is that the, when, uh, against the Expos in, uh, yeah. in 2004, right? When, when future Cub Jose, Jose Macias, Macias. Who, you, who you put on your immaculate grid today, yes. had a pop-up that bounced uh, a very sad and frustrating Cub. And in the 04 season, of course, in which a shitty Alex Gonzalez, right? Didn't catch it? Yeah, yep, yeah, because yeah, I forget the details. There was like a miscommunication, a ball drop between three infielders. Uh, in Jose Macias, the gremlin. One of the most. I did not know that. that. I did not know that 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 was that he was a former Cub. Yeah. Whatever that stadium. Yeah, former was Cub and White Sox. Hiram. Bitter. Wow. Nice call. A uh, guy we talked about during our uh, extensive talk about Cubs center fielders, uh, Emilio Bonifacio played for both yeah. the Cubs and the and the White Sox. How about Bobby Bonds? I remember Bobby Bonds as a Cub. I didn't remember him as a White Sox, but he did it. He, no, it was before. Nineteen seventy-eight. I only know about it because it was like the end of his career. The Cubs were his last stop. Yeah. Bobby Bonds is one of those guys that, like, in those Bugs Bunny cartoons, they have a suitcase with, like, stickers for, like, all those cities. That, like, like back before, like, nowadays it's probably more common. Bobby Bonds played for, like, 10 different teams, it seems like. Uh, former Cub great pinch hitter, Thad Bosley. Sure. Talked Cub about him coming off, the, coming off the bench the weekend that Pete Rose became the first uh, player manager since – White former White Sox and Cub Don Kessinger, huh? How about tying that together, Andy? Yeah, good. Don Kessinger was the last player manager until Pete Rose in '84 against the Cubs, and then the the Cubs took the rubber match when Bosley hit a big three run homer that Sunday, and then he got to stay for the Cubs. And he was a former Sox at that point. Uh, the aforementioned uh, 1984 reliever Warren Brewster played obviously yeah. for both teams. He's part of that trade. How about Smokey Burgess? Big fat guy, right? <laughs> we used to hear about him. Very slow. I don't know. He played for the Cubs. Yeah, I wish my dad were alive. He might have a Smokey Burgess story. Played for I the heard Cubs, about Smokey uh, Burgess early, forty-nine and fifty-one. He yeah. didn't play for the Is Sox there? until sixty-four. So he probably wasn't fat with the Cubs. Big fat catcher. Um, first baseman, big old number forty-four. Phil MVP, Phil Cavaretta. Finished or played for, played huh? for the he played for the Cubs from thirty four to fifty three played for the White Sox in fifty four and fifty five. Yeah, you know he probably, another one he, of those. I'm wanted, not leaving town, so I'll just go play for well, the White Sox. You know what? He made a comment. He was a Cubs manager. He was a player manager for a while, and then you know PK Wrigley. You know he was you know Phil Cavaretta, Chicago guy with the Lane Tech. Played in the World Series in nineteen thirty five, like a year and a half after playing for Lane Tech. Has a long career. Uh, too old to go off the war, wins the MVP in 45. He's later the Cubs manager in those mediocre teams in the 50s, but then he made a comment in spring training that he didn't think the team would be that good, and P.K. Wrigley fired him in spring training. So he probably like, fuck you, uh, Sox. Actually, the Sox were pretty good. I'm surprised. Yeah. He went there as a player, though. So he was the player manager for the Cubs. I didn't know he'd be like player manager here. Don Kessinger, Pete Rose. But so he just went to the Sox to play and earn money, I guess. So Not he played seventy one games for the fifty four Sox at third and he played right and left field. Uh hit uh, three homers and twenty four RBIs in limited action, hundred and fifty eight at bats. Hit three sixteen with a four seventeen on base. And then he played okay. he only played in six games in fifty five. He was done. Okay. 
So yeah, he played all 22 seasons in Chicago. 20 for the Cubs, two for the White Sox. Didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't quite recognize that Phil Cabrera played for the Sox. Lefty bullpen uh, guy who was really good for the White Sox and not so good for the Cubs, Neil Kotz. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, Neil Kotz traded for Arzma, I believe. Then there's you talked about having a Donahue on the on uh, who used to play for the uh, Sox. How the about uh, which one is it? There's two of them here. Is there Jigs? Uh, it's got to be this guy. It's the name is Flint. Patrick Henry Cozy Dolan. Oh, <laughs> you got it. Yes. You have a relative. He, uh, <laughs> he played for he played from 1895 to 1906 uh, for the. Uh, he played for the Super Buzz, it looked like. No, the Bean okay. Eaters. No, it wasn't Brooklyn. Oh, that was Boston. Boston. Yeah, 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 played yeah, for yeah. the Bean Eaters, played for the Cubs. Uh, played for... Uh, oh, he did play for the Super Buzz. The Brooklyn Super Buzz. Okay. Which I guess is Super Buzz, right? A terrible nickname. I don't know how you pronounce it. Played for the Reds. Yeah, uh, played for, played 27 games for the 03 White Sox. And finished up uh, for, back with the Bean Eaters. Back where it all started. Okay. Uh, he was a you know, right fielder, first baseman, and pitcher. He was the Shohei of his time, I'm sure. Uh, What's funny about that is that I, I'm looking at Jiggs Donahue, who was also on those White Sox teams, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, but not on the 03 Cubs. Uh, that's because Cozy, Cozy took his spot. Uh, let's see. For the Cubs, he hit 265. For the White Sox, he hit 260. And what? how about pitching? What did he do pitching-wise here? Uh... He didn't pitch for either of them. Pitched a lot though. Um, he was eleven and thirteen in his career, thirty-five games, two hundred fifty-five innings. Well, there you go, Cozy Dolan. Who knew? Star for both teams. So old. They got a picture of him, an actual photo, which is nice, but no logo on his hat because they didn't have those back then. No or numbers. Uh, how about Scott Downs, lefty? Yeah, I thought. I, I forgot he was a White Sox. Scott Downs was uh, he was traded by the Cubs for who? Shit, Andy. Oh. Um, or is the Cubs is an expo? They got it for the ex- expos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all I remember is that I went to see was Scott he Rondell for the Cubs. Yes, that's what it was. We got Rondell or after. Yes. So actually, so okay, this is good. So he got traded by the Cubs twice. Oh, because he came back several years later. He got that's traded right. for Mike Morgan. No, that's not right. It's opposite. He, yes. We uh, got him for an aging Mike Morgan. We like, did. Yep. Scott Downs, 98. Scott Downs for Mike Morgan. So it's the return of Mike Morgan. Yeah, because he was terrible. Right, yeah, in 98. Then. He, Mike, Mike, Mike Morgan gave up Mike McGuire's 60th homer in yeah, 98 at right. the club. Yeah. Um. So that happens in November of 98, but by May, the Cubs are like, we can't not have Scott Downs. So um, the the Twins traded Scott Downs and Rick Aguilera That's right. to the Cubs for Kyle Loesch and Jason Ryan. And then a yeah. year later, at the trade deadline, 2000, the Cubs traded him to Montreal for Rondell White. So, and then in between that, I saw Scott Downs pitch at Rigby Field in 2000 at the first ever... Friday afternoon, his first ever Cubs Tigers game since Game Seven of the 1945 World Series. Again, it's 2000, so it's the early 
years of interleague play that we've discussed there at the Sox. It was a novelty. The Tigers come to town for the first time. I am uh, with my buddy. We're sitting uh, way back in the grandstands. And there's a poll, of course, as happens sometimes at Wrigley. It wasn't um, Ted Klazuski. It was a, a literal poll that was, you know, upholding the upper deck as you have at Wrigley. But it just happened to be where the pitcher's mound was. So I think I told the story before. Scott Downs, he threw like a shutout, I think. It was, it was against the Tigers. It was like June of 2000. And, but I, so I could say I went to Wrigley Field and I saw Scott Downs throw a shutout or I saw Scott Downs win a game. But I can't truthfully say it because I was like where Scott Downs was supposed to be from my seat. It was just a giant beam. So I would just like see this ball launched from this beam over the plate. You weren't looking for the game, were you? Because I guarantee it was 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've moved on. And then we didn't even talk about Scott Downs as a white sock. So. No. Uh, next guy on the list, uh, Mo Drabowski. Sure. So I have yeah, Sportsbook's not here. You have a Mojo Bowski. He was a pitching coach in '94. Yeah, but I got a story by G. A. Johnstone in one of his books. So Mo had pitched for the Cubs, and then when he ended up on another team, like he went to Mon- looks like he went to Montreal, maybe next. No, Milwaukee. Can't tell these abbreviations. Um, no. The Braves. He could imitate. It couldn't have been. I was looking that what I was looking up was who was his manager, and he had a bunch of. Them. He had Bob Sheffing, and he had Charlie Grimm. Um, uh, and I don't know who he could imitate. One of the Cubs' coaches' voice perfectly, so he knew that he would sit in the Wrigley bullpen, and he would call over. He would sit in the visitors' bullpen, and he would he knew the phone for the cut for the home bullpen. So he would call it, and he would do the imitation and tell them to get one of the pitchers up. And then all of a sudden, the manager would be sitting in the cup dugout and look out, and he, there's a pitcher warming up in his bullpen. <laughs> he's like, why that? is this guy warming up? And it's like, well, it's because Mo had called over and tricked them into thinking that the manager had called to warm up a pitcher, which, as baseball pranks go, is a pretty good one. It's a pretty harmless, pretty good uh, prank. Yes, yes. So that's my Mo Drabowski story. Uh, one of at least two former Cub managers is next. Well, Rick Renteria, has he been mentioned yet? We talked about that. Well, I only did players, but yeah, he managed both teams. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the question again? A player uh, who, uh, who went on to manage both the Cubs, uh, or a Cub, well, former Cub manager who played for both teams. And there's two of them Cub at least. Just looking okay, at two so Don Kessinger is not what you're asking for. No. Um. Oh, uh, Lee Ilya. Lee Ilya played for the 68 Cubs and the 66 White Sox. And uh, good old number 10. Oh, Bruce Kim. Bruce Kim played for both the Cubs and the White Sox. Uh, good call. How about Johnny Evers played for both teams? Okay. Played also for played the, for the uh, Chicago, uh, the the Whales. How about this? He played he, for the Cubs from 02 to 13 and then played for the White Sox in 1922. Nine years oh, later. Oh, man. He played for the Wales, too, in between, so he's a three-timer, major leader of Chicago. Uh, we already talked about these next two guys. Uh, Scott Ayer, as Lou Pinnell called him, Stevie Ayer, and Scott Fletcher. Okay. And then how about uh, Japanese right fielder? 
Kosuke Fukudome. Oh, yeah. Once again. You know, I should just assume because the Sox have this weird history of like everybody playing for them. So, like Ken Griffey, Manny Ramirez. I use Manny Ramirez today in my Immaculate Grid. Yep. Uh, Jose Canseco ended up with the White Sox. Like, everybody ends up somehow coming through. Yep. And nobody remembers it because nobody remembers the White Sox. How about the best Afro in the business? Oscar Gamble. Oscar Gamble played for both teams. Good call. Superstar Ross Glode. Remember pinch hitter yeah. Ross Glode? I do. I've I referenced him before. He came up. We had Mark Race, and then there was like a poor man's Mark Race and Brant Brown, and then a poor man's Brant Brown and Ross Glode. And then Ross Glode ended up having like a five-year run with the White Sox. So these next two guys are both closers whose nicknames became their first names. Closers whose nicknames became one of them who's closed for the Cubs before he went to the White Sox, and the other uh, the opposite. The second one is Goose Gossage, Goose Gossage right? Yes. Although on the Immaculate Grid, you have to type in Rich. Goose does not come up. Interesting. Found that out. And the other one That's would a be, great... which you might not remember, he ever pitched for the White Sox. Who? Tom Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah. I kind of do, but I would not have thought of it. I would not, never in a million years call for that myself. Uh, a key part, I'm sure, of the Rick Sutcliffe trade from the Indians, played for both teams. Uh, would it be Ron Hassey? Ron Hassey. The first Cubs left-handed starter in like a decade. Larry Himes brought Greg, his boy with him. Greg Hibbard. Greg Hibbard. Uh, a, a good reliever for both teams with the Cubs. He's probably best known for being attacked on the mound. Um, Tom Gamboa? Wait, on the mound? Randy Myers? No. Wait, what? Bob Howard. Don't you remember a guy ran out and tried to mess with Bob Howard? That didn't oh, go yeah, well Oh, yeah, I was at that. Dude, that's the first time I met Forklift and Chris Troja and Mike Brock. Invited them to my seats. And, they, and which one watched. of them went out and tried to beat up Bobby? Well, the dude, he's wearing cargo shorts. He was hilarious. That was the crazy game where the Cubs blew like a, a seven-run lead in the eighth. And that's why he attacked Howery, but then Soriano ended up winning it with a single to right. So, yeah, good times. Uh, we already talked about Cody Hoyer. Uh, we got three Jacksons in a row. Can you name the three Jacksons? All of them relatively recent. Well, there's Edwin. There's Edwin, yes. There's Darren. There's Darren. by the Dallas Green. And there's 2015 yeah. Cub who bunted and made um, poor, um, oh, what's his name, shit his God, pants? Austin. Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson. That's a huge bunt. Like, that's a that's a bunt that Cub fans should never forget yep. because they were down one nothing in that series and they were losing early in that game. That was like Ben Zobris's bunt the following season in the World Series year. So, market Cubs. Austin Jackson. Good young prospect when he came up. I don't even remember him with the White Sox. A uh, guy who played center field for both teams. We talked about him just the other day. Well, we must have because we did an exhaustive uh, recollection of center field. His number was part of his nickname, thanks to the Hawk. Not Dave Martinez. It's a different no, he's center coming fielder. Up. Uh, number, according to, wait, according to Hawk, was his oh, one dog. One dog, yeah, One dog, yeah. Hawk did give him that nickname, didn't he? Uh, outfielder, pinch hitter, guy who's read three of his books, Jay Johnstone, who was previously mentioned. Yeah, for both teams. that's right. He was a White Sox with a red hat. Matt Karchner. Yeah. We talked about him. Don Kessinger, we mentioned him. Kimbrell, we talked about him. Ken Kravick, Dennis Lamp. Um, he was a, a all-star, all-star third baseman for the Cubs who played with his brother on the uh, on the White Sox. His twin brother. All-star. Identical oh, twin brother. Uh, 
Wait, Ken Henderson and Steve Henderson? Wait, nope. no way. Close. Ooh, I, they, were 80, they, were 83, they were 83 White Sox. Oh, yeah, Vance and Rudy Van, Law. Yeah, Vance and Rudy Law, the twins. But, Van, but Rudy didn't play for the Cubs. Vance did. And the Sox. Uh, Brent Lillibridge. I don't know why I even bothered to write him down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one of the uh, center fielders, uh, one of the few postseason stars in center field for the Cubs. Played uh, for everybody for a year. After you already a, mentioned Austin Jackson. After a uh, oh yeah, Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Former Very Cub, former Cub catcher. Oh, the other the other seventy two. He wore seventy two for the Cubs, and then couldn't wear Machado? it for the White Sox. Robert Big Bob Machado. Robert Machado, big Bob Machado. He Machado would much prefer over Todd Hundley, the much more highly paid. Uh, yeah, this guy who uh, won a World Series as a coach for the Cubs is now won a World Series as a manager for the Nationals and lost his job, lost his playing job at the Cubs for messing around with Cindy Sandberg. Dave Martinez coming out there, yep. Allegedly, right. Randy Martz, we yeah, talked yeah. about. How about a – oh, here's a couple of great uh, relievers. A um, couple of uh, couple of black guys with Mick. We're Irish black guys. Oh, Lynn McLaughlin. Lynn McLaughlin. And then the guy with glasses, little lefty. Oh, Chuck McElroy pitched Chuck, for the White Sox? Chuck McElroy, yep. How about that? Uh, the original Nick Madrigal. Uh, this guy played 20, for the White Sox, the Cubs, and the Cardinals. So let me talk about the trifecta. Looks just like him. Played actually was better, even though he was st- stumpy little guy. What am I missing? Well, give me an era. Uh, nineties. Played second yeah. base. Oh uh, yeah, it's too late. In the Forget who. Was, uh, let me look him up. I'm telling you, who, did, who is he supposed to replace with the Cubs? Uh, again, the Cubs second baseman after Sandberg, number seven. There's Mickey Morandini. There's. Oh, he was supposed to replace Mark DeRosa. He was the so they trade DeRosa to get Milton Bradley. Now they need a second baseman, and they go get a guy who just played for the Cardinals and a former White Sox. Do you remember Aaron Miles? Oh, God. yeah, I don't, I do, but not he as a White Sox. Terrible with the Cubs. That's a good. That's a pretty good call. That that he, was the replacement. That I say terrible reaction. He he made he was he made Dan, David Descalso. Look like Daniel Descalso? Uh, yeah. yeah. Daniel Descalso. Whatever. Looks like a star. Aaron Miles for the 2009 Cubs hit 185 yep. and 157 at bats. Uh, no homers, five RBIs, on base average at 224. He slugged 242. What a joke. And you know, he went right back is... to the Cardinals where he hit 281 in 2010. Of course he did. And you know, and that's and that's a team that, at least from outwardly from an organizational level, was in contention at least going into the season. You know, that's a team that's coming off a of ninety-seven wins or ninety-eight wins, I believe. And Aaron Miles is your second baseman. That's, that's yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, well, then fittingly, next is Nick Madrigal. Uh, okay, we got a couple of uh, uh, a couple of fat guys with the same last name. One was a catcher. One was a um, starting pitcher for the Cubs, the Brewers, and the White Sox. He'd been the, the White Sox ace. Oh, yeah, Jaime. Jaime, Jaime Navarro. Navarro. And then the catcher would be? A fat catcher. Uh, Jim Essien? 
No, he didn't have a play for the Cubs. You already said Bruce Kim. Dianer. Dianer? Dianer. Navarro. Yeah. Okay. Little fat guy. He was actually he had a pretty good year for the Cubs, I, I think. I saw him hit a homer once at Wrigley for the Cubs, yeah. Um, let's see. He was their catcher around the same time yes. as Wellington. He played for the 13 Cubs. He hit 300 with a 365 yeah. on base and 240 yeah. at-bats. Yeah, he and Wellington. Um, the, before my time, at least, uh, but I always made fun of his name, Wayne Nordhagen. I remember Wayne Nordhagen. I, I asked nothing about his Ma- name. It just seemed funny. Yeah. Yep. Well, he started his career with the White Sox and then finished it with the Cubs. Uh, yep. Pretty good. But not a bad player for the White Sox. 287, 310, 451. He was like a DH years. third baseman. Hit 143 yeah. for the Cubs in uh, 1983. Yeah. One of, um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody worse. I think he's my least favorite Cub relief pitcher of all time. And he pitched two different times for the Cubs. And in between, he Is pitched for the White Sox. Not Lou Pinella also hated him. With and his 54-foot curveball. Oh, uh, Will Oman. Will Oman. I guess he didn't uh, pitch. He didn't have two cents with the Cubs. He missed two full years because of injury. Yeah, like Oscar, Oscar Acosta, moment of silence, also very much loathed Will Oman. Uh, another key part of the aforementioned Kyle Hendricks, uh, Ryan Dempster trade, who uh, was a star for the Cubs, who caught some tough luck, and he went on the disabled list in 2015, and some guy stole his job at third base. The one-eyed Mike Olt? Mike Olt. He wasn't one-eyed. He couldn't tear up, right? His eyes dried out. I think that's what happened. He couldn't make tears, so he couldn't see. So nobody knew he was sad when he uh, had his wrist broken. Of course, it had to be forced it, to play for four days. Just happened. Yeah, it fits. happened because he got hurt. He broke it uh, two days too early, and they couldn't call. I was Brian at the game and not fuck I over was, his service time. So they made a play that the, way. I was at the game. I was in course. That was the one. I was on TV in Chicago doing a fist bump. That was the game, the Saturday night. Oak got hit, and I remember going right away. I'm like, that's it. He's going on the DL, but not the head away like four yet. more days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only Don I know with two ends. Don Paul, local, local guy, guy. Local guy, Don Paul. Uh, the the real key to the Sosa, uh, George Bell trade we talked about, Ken Patterson. Teddy Patterson. Reggie Patterson yeah. we talked about. Yeah, Slappy Juan Pierre, time. who we talked about. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Juan Pizarro. 70s guy before our time, but yeah, I know the name. Mike Proley, who I only remember because I got a million of his baseball cards. Yeah, the mustachioid, same here. Don't remember him from TV, but just from top. Here's a guy who pitched for both teams, was a pitching coach for the Cubs, uh, and I, uh, most famously for me, I saw him naked sitting on a lawn chair in the West Michigan Whitecaps clubhouse in 2003. Did not know that the vulture Phil Reagan had pitched for the White Sox. So I do remember your story about uh, Phil's old balls hanging Sags, through the uh, in between sack the hanging right through the right through the vinyl. Oh, don't get up too fast, Phil. Steve Renko, we talked about. Uh, here was a oddly effective. He was supposed to be a starting pitcher, but uh, Joe put him in the bullpen. He was down there with our old buddy Big Trev in the 2015. And his Clay claim Richard? to fame was, yes, he kept getting Jason Hayward out in the playoffs. Don't you remember knew it was him so easy. 
Clayton Richard. I don't even right. That should have been a warning sign. Oh well, yeah. Uh, eighty-three White Sox, eighty-nine Cub. Does no longer has White... no longer has binocular vision. We already mentioned Vance Law, right? Or there's nope. a different context, right? No, this is the guy who re- had to replace Vance at third base on the '89 Cubs. Oh, Lu- Luis Salazar. Yes. So Luis Salazar was an '84 Padre, right? But he was an '83 White Sox. Wasn't he? An, I think he was. A, I gotta look him up. I think he was an '83 White Sox, and then he was on all kinds of. I maybe thought I'm he wrong. went Padres. I thought he went Padres, White Sox, Padres, Cubs. So you're saying he went White Sox. Oh, you're right. It was He was an 85 White Sox, not an 83 White Sox. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he went back to the Padres, and he went to the Tigers, and went back to the Padres. The Padres couldn't quit him. Three times. They got him three times. Three times. And then they so traded the Cubs. got him after his him third. Mar- they got him okay. and Marvell win. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Marvell yeah. got in a fight he with Sean Dunstan right on the that field. That was the next year, of course. Right. Yeah. Bad move, Marvell. Forgot that Luis Salad Bar had yeah, of course. Yeah, Man, this is a star-studded trade. Um, the Marvell one. Luis Salazar, Marvell win for Darren Jackson, Kelvin Schiraldi. Player name oh. later, who became Phil Stevenson. Phil oh. was like this hotshot first base prospect from Wichita State, who yeah. lives in immortality on YouTube because um, he got caught with a hidden ball trick when he was at Wichita State. And I always think it's funny because I look and you see Stevenson at LSU. I'm like, I know, or LSU, I think, not Wichita State. And uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, he was a Cub. Of course he was. Yes. Um, Valparaiso, Indiana's finest. Uh, pitch for both uh, teams. And Notre Dame. Yes, played uh, wide, receiver wide receiver for Notre Dame. Jeff Samarja. Catching passes from Brady Quinn. No uh, here's an 84 Cub who. Um, Pitch for both teams. Pitch for the Expos. Hyperventilated on the mound in Los Angeles once. Um, oh, you mentioned that before. Yes. So wait, that's Steve. I mean, no, close. Not no, no. Ryan Sandberg, but Sanderson pitched for the Sox. Scott that's Sanderson. Yeah. yeah, late in his career, Ranger, right? Pitch for the Sox. Must have been. Yeah, after Tony Russo resurrected him. Ron Santo and Sammy Sosa, who we talked about. No. Uh, Oh, God, why can't I remember? Was he rookie of the year for the Cubs? Santo? No. This next no, guy. Billy Williams was. What's that? Mm. Billy Williams yes. and Ken Hubs. I can remember yeah. that. Who? 2008, rookie of the year. For the Cubs? Yes. Uh, Giovanni Soto. Giovanni Soto. That's right. Uh, 84 Cubs, Cub who, played, uh, who started for North Carolina State in the 1974 Final Four. Daryl Thompson, he played for the 84 Cubs. Wait, are you fucking with me? Who on the 84 Cubs played for the 74? Oh, it's the same name guy. It's the same no. name guy, isn't it? No, this guy actually played basketball. And he played for the White Big Sox? Big tall guy. Also, oh, Tim Stoddard. Tim Stoddard. I didn't know he played for the White Sox, too. No. I do know he was a basketball player. You're right, NC State. Uh, was yep, that 73-74. I didn't say he played a lot. He averaged... No. Five and a half point. Oh, not bad. Five and a half point. Was he like six, seven, right? Yeah. So that's another thing that the 84 Cubs and the 03 Cubs have in common, right? Like, you know, three three chances to win one game to go to a pennant. You know, Stuckland hasn't lost forever. Prior and Wood never lose back-to-back. Also, both teams had a final four participant. Yep. Kenny Lofton and Tim Stoddard. And both those guys played for the White Sox and the Cubs. 
And I believe they're both from Indiana as well, so let's cap it off. Is he? No. I don't know where started from. I pulled up his college basketball one. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Guy who uh, would also would pitch for both teams. He's had a weird name. He pitched for, for some success for the Yankees. I'm not going to make you guess it. Tanyan Sturtz. Tanyan Sturtz. Yep. Uh, outfielder who who was talking about this claimed he had when he watched him. Oh, it was Keith Law. He was talking about uh, guys who look amazing in batting practice. He said yeah. one of the one of the risks you run when you're scouting if um, if you base too much of it on BP and then just four at bats and think you know what a guy is. He's like there was this guy who played for a long time in the big leagues who if you watched him take batting practice you thought he had all kinds of power and that it never translated. He played for both teams. He's currently, although you don't get marquee, he's currently on the post-game show all the time. Ryan Sweeney? Ryan Sweeney. I have to stop real quick because just blew, I'm kind of freaked out here. But you know, I mentioned, like, was Tim Stoddard from Indiana? I'm like, Andy, don't look that up. I'm just going down tangents. So I look up Tim Stoddard. Somehow I had it in my head that he went to Indiana. You know, Is he from yeah, India? Yeah, he went to he went to Washington High School, East Chicago, Indiana. Oh, there are four players. There are four players in, in Major League history who went to the same high school: Pat Patterson, nineteen thirty-four; Henry Milton, nineteen thirty-two. Oh, yeah. The other two: Tim Stoddard and Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton. Who knew? Both were five and four basketball players. Both played on Cubs teams that were uh, that that missed the pennant after having three chances to get there. Two different teams. All right. Uh, Had to bring that up, though. That's incredible. That's insane. Both won World Series for other teams. Tim Stoddard, while he was on the 79 Orioles, who did he win a World Series with? The 83 Orioles. Wow. He went back to – oh, it was right before he came to the Cubs. Well, wait a minute. Did Kenny win a World Series? I say that confidently. I don't think he did. I don't know that he did. I don't think he did, right, because he wouldn't have been on – the Indians never won it, and I don't think he was on the Braves when they did. No, and the Braves only won 95, yeah. No, oh, poor Kenny. So. He was in the playoffs a shitload. Right. Maybe he was bad luck. He was. Could have been. And I forgot Kenny Lofton also come. Yeah, he never won a World Series. Holy shit, he played in He played in 20 postseason series. He played in 95 games. He played in uh, one, two. Oh, he was a 2002 giant. Yeah, he came he, uh, won super the pennant. close he won- to winning two, to winning two World Series and didn't have either. He did. He did basically win the pennant and stick it in the heart of the. I remember um, I had a vendor that was a Cardinals fan, and she was so angry after that game. And she's like, "Fuck Kenny Lofton." He was great oh. in that series. <laughs> uh, here was a uh, a guy who pitched for both teams. Uh, he was a big acquisition of the Cubs and then couldn't pitch for like. Three months. He was a free agent signing. Oh, Kevin Tappany. And he pitched well. He won, well, I shouldn't say pitched well. He won 19 games for the 98 yeah, Cubs with like, an ERA, like an 11 ERA or some ridiculous. No, it wasn't that bad. No, but Tappany, it wasn't good. No, but he he pitched better for the Cubs he in the stock. He, he almost pitched a shutout in the playoffs. Yeah. Javi yeah, Lopez got him, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, like, Tappany was a good Cubs. He only had that one year at the White Sox. Basically, they swapped Jaime Navarro. It wasn't a trade. Navarro was the guy that Reinsdorf put a wheelbarrow of money in front of and then afterwards said, I'll never sign a pitcher to 
a contract more than a couple of years. Yeah, he, has, then, he, so, had a, he had a five-year deal with the Cubs, and then he couldn't pitch. He was hurt and couldn't pitch until like July of the '97. Yeah. He went nine and three with a three thirty-nine. He went nineteen and nine and ninety-eight with a four eighty-five ERA. Yeah, yeah. two hundred and forty-four hits allowed in two hundred nineteen innings. Yeah, he's getting old. Uh, he had a good run with the Twins. He and you know, one uh, year for the White Sox. I thought he was there long. You know, yeah, you know, a good friend of ours currently resides in the home that Tappany lived in when he pitched for the Cubs, right? I believe the last Cubs game he went to, we went to you, me, Oleg, and Bill. Oh, Bill. he lives. Oh, that's Bill right. C. He bought Kevin Tappany's uh, house, not from Tappany. I think there's one owner removed, but like invariably, Milton Bradley. He comes across sites. He comes across items that belong to Tap. So he has been in touch with him to you know, get those items back. Uh, who even talked about this guy? Um, I don't know how to give a clue. What year did he pitch for the Cubs? When he pitched for the Sox. Tell me that. Let's see. This guy pitched for the Cubs from 79 to 82. And he pitched for the 83 White Sox. His, well, his nickname would give it away. 79 to Lynn McLaughlin, Randy Marth, Dennis Lamp, Ken Kravick. I mean, I'm nailing all that. Who am I missing? Warren Brewster. Dirt. Steve Trout. Who? Dirt. Dick yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned, I, I mentioned Tidro. We did? Yeah, earlier. He's another guy that was name-checked earlier a few times. Yeah. All right. He was part of that. He was part of those trade where the Dallas Green was compromised. So I know we talked trade. about Dennis uh, Lamp. I didn't remember we talked about well, he was part of that Dennis uh, oh. Dallas Green being compromised over Fergie Jenkins. Okay. Um, Steve Trout, we talked about him. He, he, I don't believe he ever fell off a stationary bike for the White Sox, but he did for the Cubs. No. Probably did a lot more blow for the Sox, just because he was a lot younger, I guess. Um, this guy was a uh, – I barely remember him as a Cub. Only well, pitched in four games. So I'm not even going to bother. Luis Vizcaino. Pitched four games for the 09 yeah. Cubs, but he pitched uh, he was, one full season for the White Sox. He was a brewer that was yeah. involved in the, in the infamous Carlos Lee Scott and Sendick trade. And remember, remember this, folks. Carlos Lee was run out of town by Ozzie Guillen because he didn't hustle, tagging up for a flying ball against the Twins the year before. And he's not the kind of player that Ozzie wants. So they trade Carlos the brewer for Luis Vizcano, Scott Pesednik. Two things happened early in the 05 season. Carlos Lee takes out Todd Walker of the Cubs, who, you know, on a double play, and because he was finally deciding, I'm going to hustle now because Ozzy yelled at me last year. Todd Walker gets hurt. Originally, Nuffy saved the season, but then didn't. And it was just, and then Scott Pinsednik would hit two of the flukiest homers in postseason history that season. So, not that I'm better. No. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's my Luis Vizcaino. I did not know he pitched for the Cubs either. So, uh, this next guy uh, was is a Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame relief pitcher. I already one said the, Dick Pedro. One of the first, yeah, one of the I guess one of the first like closers in baseball history. Pitched for the New York Giants. Um, oh, I know, I know who it okay. is. The Orioles, the White Sox. 
Hoyt Wilhelm. Hoyt, well, yeah, I, did, I didn't even pitch for the Cubs. Well, he pitched for the Cubs when he was 47 years old. In 1970, he pitched three games. <laughs> wow. The Cubs can claim him as because the White Sox, if the White Sox had him for three games, they'd have claimed him. The White Sox had him for, uh, they got him when he was 40. <laughs> and they had him until he was 45. Wow. He was 41 and 33, pitched 21 years. He didn't break into the big league, so he was 29. It's always a name that I've heard since I was a kid. I don't know if it's because of the war, but he, I mean, he broke in at 52. <laughs> what war was he in? Did he go around? He went from, he went, I'm going to Korea, too. I'm going to go from here to Korea. Um, <laughs> he led the league in winning percentage yeah. in games and ERA in his first big league season. He had to be the first rookie of the year. So he's a phenom, 15-3, and three, probably blew out his arm. Oh, he's, he was awesome. No, yeah, he started pitching yeah, at 52, he, and he pitched straight through to 72. I love that he finished 39 games. He pitched 68 games and, and 39, yeah, 15 saves. He was looking to be early. You're right. He was sort of, because I always thought Ted Abernathy or I forget, Jim Constanti were like the first relievers. But, yeah, that's kind of how I remember Hoyt Wilhelm. He was like this weird, like, hybrid guy that, like, never existed. The types of him did not exist before. He led the league with an ERA in 59, seven years after his, for his rookie year. Just, so in 52, he's a 29-year-old rookie, and he finishes fourth in rookie of the year. He finished behind the, – the guy who won it was a Cub. In 52? Yeah. Hank Sauer? Hank Sauer. For, for MVP or – Rookie of the year. Oh, no, that's okay. MVP. Sorry. Where's rookie of the year? He finished fourth in rookie of the year, but he finished – Second in Rookie of the Year voting to Joe Black. Okay. Joe Black pitched for the Dodgers in the World Series yeah. that year. Yeah. Uh, for MVP, um, guys that Hoyt p- finished ahead of that year, Stan Musial, Ina Slaughter, Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder. Wow. Wow. As a rookie. <laughs> but, yeah, Hank Sauer, 37 RBIs. As a 29-year-old rookie. 29, yeah, as a Patrick Wisdom rookie. That's quite a career. I don't. I wonder. It seems odd to get started so late. Let's see. Let's look at his minor league stats real quick. Do they even have them? I got a link. I don't know. But yeah, he was a Hall of Famer. Eight-time All-Star, pitched in the '54 World Series. Hoyt Wilhelm. And the last guy I have here uh, is a uh, catcher for both teams. Oh, my network is crapping out at me. All right. Last guy I got here was a catcher for both teams. Uh, Was an 89 Cub. Oh, that's Rick Rona? Rick Rona, good old number one. Much discussed. You know, guys like Rick Rona have been mentioned on this podcast probably. I'm sure Rick Rona's name is probably mentioned at least 12 times. Rick's probably a subscriber. Uh, ooh. Played four games for the for the night oh for the ninety three White Sox. I'm sure he was a key member of their playoff push. Yeah. He and Ron Karkovice. 
Yeah, there you go. So that, I think, is, is everything and more that anybody would ever want to know about the Cubs and the White Sox. I would say if you're not fired up for this Cubs Sox series <laughs> after listening to this right now, then you just don't have any, any oxygen in your vein. I'm going to check real quick to see if they have made the Nick Madrigal trade yet. Uh... <laughs> right. We may have to update this in real time. In case there are any last stuck in, in case we did trade Madrigal back. Not yet. I do see, though, um, former White Sox manager uh, Ozzie Guillen um, now is playing the Immaculate Grid, and he had an Immaculate uh, on on uh, Sunday. He posted an Immaculate thing. I'm going to see who he picked, though. He didn't put the. He hasn't learned how to hide the right. pictures. Right. But congratulations, Ozzie. Good for you. Yeah, there are Cubs and Sox today. I actually use Kevin Tappany for my Sox Twins. And I use Manny Ramirez for my Sox Dodgers. Guess who I use for my Sox Nationals? Do you remember Bob James? No. He was Jeff Reardon's whatever pass for a setup man for the Expos in the no. 80s. And the mid-80s White Sox decided to throw a bunch of money at Bob James to make him their closer. And, uh, yeah, it didn't quite work out. Yeah, incidentally, just to finish the loop, because it was Cubs Sox Day and Immaculate Grid. I had Bill Campbell for Cubs Twins. Billy, I went old school. Billy Herman for Cubs Dodgers, oh, yeah. and Woody and Woody Fryman for Cubs National Slash Expos. I really uh, try to go obscure with. Yeah, that. my Cubs Sox. I went all former Cubs center fielders. I saw that. Darren Jackson, well, you, Trace Thompson, and Dave Martinez. Well, I liked your left-hand column. Who was it? Because I just thought, who are the three guys? Was it the all 4 Dusty Cubs? It was Jose Macias, right, at the bottom? <laughs> well, it was Jack who Jones, Cesar Torres, and Jose yeah. Macias. That's all Cesar Torres in 07. He yeah. almost nailed, like, uh, uh, like late Dusty Cubs with that somehow. I had, a lot, I had a lot of terrible uh, Cub uh, utility players. I had Cesar. Oh, yeah, Cesar was a shortstop. But Jose... And I had Delano yeah. DeShields. Right, because you used him my, for... He was, was my it? Expo Oriole. Yes. Well, national. You know, only us old school guys can take advantage of that one. Yes. Yeah, the only one that didn't play for the Cubs on my whole list was Marty Cordova. I used, him for, I used him for Twins Orioles. Yeah. And I, he always sticks in my head because... Um, we talked about this, I think. I'm sure we've talked about everything at least once. Um you know, Ken Griffey Jr. didn't win MVP, or I didn't. Win, I mean, didn't win Rookie of the Year, but he was so young when he broke in that he was younger than the, the next seven, next yeah. seven um, American League Rookies of the Year. And the last one was Marty Cordova, who was like 29 or something, and just got him in under the got him in under the gun. So I always remember Marty Cordova. That's a pretty. That's a pretty immaculate grip. Oh, he's 25. Nah, it's not quite as no, bad as I thought. Twenty-five. All right. Yeah. No. But still, twenty-five is old for a rookie of the year. Well, it's four. Yeah. Of course, Ichiro wanted it. Well, and then but, Hideo Nomo in '95. There are exceptions. They're rookies, yeah. you know. Yeah, I don't think that the Japanese guys should be eligible for rookie of the year. Racist. I think it's. I think it's disrespect to the Japanese league. They've been professional baseball players. They should win MVP if True. they're good enough. I don't think they should yeah. win Rookie of the Year. 
And each row did, right? Is he the only other player besides Fred Led? Yeah. Did he win the, the MVP and all Okay. Yeah, and that was a that was a yeah, I, immaculate grid for as good as it is is a little. Sometimes the what they're looking for can be a little squishy. We had the square the other day that was rookie of the year and MVP, and you couldn't tell if they had to have won it in the same year or not. And there's only two guys that you can use then if you think they had to be the MVP and rookie of the year in the same season. It's Ichiro and Fred. But it was they just wanted anybody who'd ever won both, but we didn't know that. Right. Yeah, if it's a seasonal award, it has to happen the season in which they did it. And if it's a career award, it's just they just had to pass through town. Which, to wrap it all up here, it, and I mentioned it like two two and a half hours ago at the beginning of this. Like, <laughs> everybody does, like, whether you re- remember or not, seems to come through uh, the south side of Chicago in a baseball uniform. Like, Ken Griffey, Manny Ramirez, and those are the ones I mentioned. It's Roberto just, Alomar twice. Yeah, Sandy Alomar, you know. Carl Everett twice. Yeah, I mean, you go on and on. It's weird. And then nobody remembers it because, frankly, nobody remembers the White Sox. I always think it's because they are they collect late career Hall of Famers just to say they have more Hall of Famers. Sure. Like, they'll just I mean, sign. It, like, in two, the, the 2004 White Sox need Roberto Alomar to hit 203 for him in 18 games. Probably hey, not. look. When you have a franchise that, on average, goes to the World Series once every 24 years, five times in 120 years, what else are you going to hang your hat on? Yeah. So. Well, if they have the – we didn't talk about this, though. This is the last thing we talked about. They, for the longest time, they had the worst player that was in the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines. Well, no, they had Nellie Fox. Oh, Nellie Fox, absolutely. And then right. I think they got worried somebody worse would get in, and they pushed. Now they have Harold Baines. Right. That's it. That's so now they're double-covered. Like I like it. That's right. They've got the they got like two basements secured. <laughs> you think that guy was mediocre? Here's Harold. All right. Well, that was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Andy. Yep. Many of us have herpes. I just want this to be over. 